welcome to episode four of Three is Company. We are here talking about the Lord of the Rings LCG by Fantasy Flight Games. I'm Joseph, and I'm joined by Ryan. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good. How are you? Good. Up late again, and it's evening for you, right? Yep, uh, 6.40. You've just literally jacked out of a game. Yep, I just finished Mount Gundabad with my local playgroup here, and ran upstairs and got on the computer and <laughs> started this. Waded through the mountain of Lego. Yeah, pushed all my kids' elaborate campaign Lego game they've had on the table for two months now to the side so I can do this. <laughs> and with us early on Saturday morning is Liam. How are you? Hello. Um, yes, I am well. Uh, a little sleepy, but <laughs> I am, uh, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, how, how are you? You good, Joe? Yep. Surviving up here. It's finally spring. Oh, nice. We've had one nice day here, and um, <laughs> now that's pretty much, yeah, it's raining again. Grey. <laughs> There's even talk of snow. <laughs> oh, wow. But that one nice day was I, was a day I had off work, so I did take full advantage of it, which was good. But um, if you've been playing Lord of the Rings, and now you're about to record a Lord of the Rings podcast, does that mean you'll be Lord of the, in like Lord of the Rings mode for six plus hours? I started at 7.30, and it's 12.30 now, so that's five hours. So, yeah, some, something like that. <laughs> Given nice. this is usually a four-hour recording session. <laughs> it's like a full work day of Lord of the Rings. doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> you are the Lord of the Ring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we usually talk about what we have been playing lately, but I thought this time we could kind of just introduce ourselves a little more and explain how we got into the game, how long we've been playing, and kind of our experiences in local and uh, extended community groups. Does that sound okay? Mm. Um, Liam, when did you get in the game? Um, yes, uh, actually, Lord of the Rings has a, has a lot of fondness in my heart because it was one of the first games that, when I was a, when I was a lot younger, I used to really enjoy things like uh, Magic the Gathering and Warhammer and that type of sort of like really obvious and well-trodden paths. <laughs> but I kind of stopped when I was, uh, you know, 17 or, well, probably younger than that, to be honest. I must have stopped doing all that when I was like about 15 or so. And then, um, yeah, didn't really sort of like return to playing anything but video games. Like I, I used to still enjoy playing video games, but no physical card games or board games or anything until um, until I tried Lord of the Rings and I came in at about the second cycle um the first cycle had been out and was out of print it was frustratingly out of print when i came in so i bought the core and i really liked it and then i bought a second core because i could see that i would need some more cards um i played it with some friends but but predominantly played by myself and i played it two-handed um and what i really liked about it it was that it was a solo game as well so i really enjoyed the fact that i could just sort of play it by myself um as well as with friends and then eventually the first set came, uh, the first cycle came back in print and I bought it all. And then, yeah, so then it was sort of like, that was around Dryad Elf. And then for a long, for the longest time, I was just playing it by myself, really. And then um, we went, I went to like one of the events, one of the community events, but I can't really remember what year it was in, but maybe Ryan will remember because Ryan was there. And so was um steve and mark and the four of us got on really well at this event and we decided to meet up at my house once a week and play lord of the rings 
in a four player, which was absolutely awesome. And we did that for a very long time. And we used to play through entire cycles, pick random quests, like have just have a lot of fun with it really. And um and then Ryan moved to Australia and Mark, we don't see as much these days, but um me and Steve still meet on the same Thursday. Uh, we don't always play Lord of the Rings now. Um, we do sort of go through phases of playing some other stuff as well, but um, it is still known as our Lord of the Rings night. So <laughs> that is, um, you know, what we often will play. Um, and then, uh, you know, when when Ryan or if Ryan ever returns to, you know, the politically stable and very sunny UK, then <laughs> maybe we can get on. Uh, maybe we can get back on some three player stuff as well. Um, I still go to like all the uh, annual events when I can, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's pretty much it in terms of Lord of the Rings. And and but Lord of the Rings really got me into playing board games and card games and tabletop games again. Uh, like it just rekindled something that I hadn't really thought about for many many years and um and yeah now like you know just got completely obsessed of it but a real lack of storage in my house um due to the <laughs> amount of stuff that i have and um you know i'm sure my missus might say that i've got somewhat of an obsession when it comes to certain things but um yeah and because lord of the rings was, was one of my first i've just really sort of like kept up with it like i buy everything that comes out for it i've got all the nightmare stuff um I've got suitcases full of quests and binders <laughs> full of player cards and everything sleeved. I've sleeved all my quests, sleeved all my player cards. Whereas wow. if when you sort of like come into it a little bit later, it can be a bit daunting to um <laughs> to have to buy and you know potentially sleeve everything. But um once you're sort of cards. Exactly, you know, it's an awful lot. Like the binders themselves, I split them up into the colours and neutral, and they're getting too big now. <laughs> really, like they're really sort of like chunky, chunky binders now. And um, I have to buy another suitcase. You can buy these like metal suitcases to store the quests in, and I have to buy my fourth now um, for it because for this cycle that's come out, just run out of room, um, and and all of the nightmare stuff as well is beginning to run out of room in the, in its suitcase. So it's going to be another purchase there. But, um, but yeah, once you're sort of like caught up with it and once you're buying it as it comes out, it's not too bad really. But yeah, it can be very daunting when you first start and there's an awful lot of content. Uh, but yeah, so it came in around Dwarf Delph, I would say. It's pretty early. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. So I would say it was maybe sort of coming towards the end of Dwarf Delph. Yeah. I just remember being really frustrated about not being able to buy the first cycle. That's what I remember waiting. I know, shocking, right? I remember (laughs) waiting and waiting and waiting. And like there was like there was parts of it that you could buy, but it was like sixty to eighty quid on like Amazon or eBay, like real sort of price gouging. Uh, And I, I have to say, I was kind of tempted, but I managed to hold hold back. And um, and then when it came out, and like my local game shop sort of let me know that I could purchase it all now. I was really excited. I bought the whole thing in one go. And, um, and yeah, and, um, and uh, yeah, just sort of kept up with it at that point. So I didn't really sort of have any other reprint issues apart from my left saga alone for quite a while, then came back and, and sort of rebought the start of saga. And, and the only other reprint issues I've personally felt, and I don't know if they really count, but it's all the nightmare stuff is, is actually ironically a, a massive nightmare to get in the UK. 
Um, thanks to yourself, <laughs> Joe, I was able to finish my nightmare collection. I don't know how much it would have cost if it wasn't for you, to be honest, because uh, I've been uh, before um, before you sent me my uh, nightmare care packages. I think uh, you know I was prepared to spend ridiculous amounts of money on eBay for for what I was missing because. I'm just a bit of a completionist, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky my big local game store carries a bunch of nightmare stuff, but a lot of it just sits on the shelf. There's some stuff that's they date their price tags and they've been on the shelf for like five years. <laughs> yeah, still st- with like four four ninety nine dollars or something like that, five ninety nine dollars. It's nice <laughs> when you swap those on. That was where I picked up most of my nightmare stuff in the great nightmare run of twenty seventeen. I yeah, that. you had a I, whole pile of it. <laughs> I happened to be in the same place as you and went to that game store. I just couldn't believe my eyes. They had basically every single thing I needed there right on the shelf. It's like a gold mine. <laughs> you, that, you just you just it, it, you just iron up what, what's gonna be <laughs> what's gonna be left out of your suitcase for the return trip home. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was I was um I think I was 0.1 kilo under the threshold of what I could take. <laughs> wow. And I think I'd, I'd literally met Joseph about two minutes prior to this, and I had just had this armful of nightmare decks. And you're, I wonder what you thought. Like, you either thought, <laughs> this guy's nuts, or this guy's serious about the game. I don't Kind know. of a little bit of both that go hand in hand. Yes. Well, you should know. Yeah. So when did you start playing, right? Uh, I feel like I've talked about this before on other podcasts. So that's what I'm saying just now. I, can't remember <laughs> i <laughs> I, I started playing probably i'm gonna guess six years ago five years ago maybe four don't know but started <laughs> off really casually just had corset corset sorry and um black riders i think and one adventure pack maybe two and in fact actually it was conflict with the carrick that made me stop playing the game for a good two years because i couldn't figure out how to beat it <laughs> and then <laughs> i remember going to this convention and i was talking to somebody uh working on a stool and he said you just need to keep your threat low i said oh right so that was my noob introduction to deck building and you're so I was trying to use legolas and gimli yes <laughs> yeah once you figure out what turtling is then you you get much better at the game right oh yeah <laughs> uh then just there was one time where i decided to take the game a bit more seriously and pretty much bought every single thing that board game extras had. And I remember getting this massive box delivered to my house and it was great, but I didn't open it all at once. I staggered it. That was fun. A self-control. Yeah, it was good. But there's so many cards, like Liam was saying just now, how can you handle all that when you're a newbie? Right. And just went from there, really. And now I've got everything, but it's all split across different countries and time zones and (laughs) all this. So I mainly play on Octagon. Right. You're sort of the grandfather of Lord of the Rings, I think. Well, I haven't. I got it pretty soon after it came out. It came out spring of 2011. Is that right? I can't quite remember. But the way I got it, it's kind of weird. I got it for my brother-in-law's birthday. I got him a corset. And then I started buying the adventure packs that came out. And I was buying them for myself. And eventually we just kept all his cards with my cards. And then eventually it just became mine. So I kind of stole the present I gave him. <laughs> you absorbed them. So he plays with me every year or so. But yeah, it's kind of turned out to be mine, which I feel bad about. But <laughs> um, yeah, I bought the corset and then I played it with him. All three quests right in a row. 
that day with him and on the easy mode without shadow cards and it wasn't too hard i didn't play it a ton over the next year or so but i bought all the packs and then i started to get more serious about it played it quite a bit solo and then um my wife and i play a good bit of games and we played through a lot of we did a whole saga most of the saga campaign together so i was just mostly doing it on my own not really plugged into the community and then i think it was 2015 yeah murder with the prancing pony i got my first event at Guardian Games and met some of the local players. And that's when I started the Lord of the Rings Players Facebook group to try connect the local players and that kind of grew into a bigger thing. But then started about six months after that, started a local play group with four players. We worked through the saga once and then kind of been working through, kind of moved back and forth between three and four players as people. One of our players moved from Portland to England. so. Seems like international travelers. <laughs> Was it England or Scotland? Scotland, yeah. Ah. Matt. Do you Scottish accent? No, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've had that play group going for about four years, three and a half years now. Uh, same group that met tonight. And we've worked through almost the entire, I think we've played everything together at this point. Except for we've only played a couple cycles, Nightmare. But we're still trying to finish a campaign. We're stuck at Mount Doom and we can't figure out how to beat it three player. <laughs> it's hard. Mm. But we just played Mount Gundabad tonight. That was fun. Um, I think I think it might have been Murder at the Prince and Pony that was our first. Yeah, one it was. As well. It was. Wow. Yeah. Because I Didn't shamelessly have... teched against it. Yeah. We, I think, yeah. I think we were quite glad that you had because. Uh, it was totally out, out of left field, that quest. It was kind of like, really like, it was almost like like a Cluedo game and mm. not really sort of expi- experienced anything like that before in Lord of the Rings. can't remember what I played now, but, um, but yeah, that was, it was really nice for me to see other people actually sort of played the game. I hadn't really sort of like looked or anything, but, um, but those community events are really good for that um, sort of, you know, like oh there are a bunch of other people that that play this game that i predominantly played (laughs) two-handed by myself in the front room (laughs) right other other people do play (laughs) yeah but i've made some really good friends of the people that i met on that first day that fellowship event Mm. yeah i remember i played a um aerostor gondor deck and that was a good thing because I was pumping out like 30, 40 willpower, which we needed. It was crazy. Another person across me was playing a Hobbit deck, which relied on low threat. And that murder at the Prancy Pony, it seems like it wrecks your threat. Mm-hmm. You're like trying to play Hobbits at 40 threat. <laughs> <laughs> we lost. I think everybody good lost year. that day. <laughs> but yeah, then when was that you were in Portland and we met? Um, That would have been... I think it was March 2017, I think. Okay. Time flies, huh? It's two years later yeah. now. It's April. Yeah. Beyond two years. Two years plus. Yeah. I remember going to the Levi's store and buying all those jeans as well. <laughs> I do that every time I visit the USA because I can't get <laughs> Hobbit-sized clothes anywhere else. <laughs> Interesting how the USA's got a reputation for like overweight people. I don't know if you know about that. That's a stereotype. Mm. Yet they have... Much more variety in clothes sizing. Weird. Guess you got a bigger range of people, maybe. <laughs> Hipsters 
and yep. descendants of Girion, as we will find out. <laughs> We've got some news this week, haven't we? You have? The community has. Have they? Pray tell, good sir. What is the news? We got the announcement for the new Deluxe Shadow in the East. I feel like we need a sound effect there, like a fanfare. And a big <laughs> logo that says, the game is... Is not dead. <laughs> new banner on the Facebook group. Yeah. <laughs> Although people were worried about the game being dead because there's a little phrase that says, it has all come to this in the announcement article, which is just a dramatic phrase, I think. But... Well, I firmly believe that there's somebody in the marketing department who's a little bit trolly. And I reckon they might have done that on purpose because there was a previous article where it was for this cycle, the current one, and it said something like, um, you can return to your adventures in Journey Down the Anduin. And of course, it's Journey Along the Anduin, but it used to be Journey Down the Anduin. Oh, right. <laughs> so some people got triggered by that little thing. So I wonder if somebody there is like, I'm going to get these people. I'm going to hint that the game's ended. <laughs> Probably someone in the Facebook group somewhere is monitoring you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> like they did they did Barkham Horror the other day. I didn't read that article, but it looked funny. Yeah, it was funny. Did you see that, Liam? No, I didn't, no. Uh, they they <laughs> did an April Fool's uh, joke, FFG, that they said there's going to be a version of Arkham Horror called Barkham Horror, and they <laughs> photoshopped a little doggy's head onto uh, some oh, character. Wow. <laughs> That's brilliant. But yeah, this new yeah. box looks interesting. we got all sorts of new... Uh, opportunities you can play the one ring now which looks like it'll change the game a good bit we're gonna get Gollum as a hero Smeagol Gollum double-sided mm-hmm. have you seen this Liam yeah well, I've, I very quickly sort of scanned the article when it came out um Steve sort of texted me saying I'll oh, check this out. um so I had a quick scan of it I didn't have a proper read through but I had a look at the uh, Smeagol Gollum card that's brilliant it's so, <laughs> so cool like that's that's the that was the thing because um Steve was actually um a little bit down on it in some ways because um he was obviously really excited to get new content and uh but you know steve he's very sort of um purist theme is, yeah theme and pure pureness is really important to him um and um he was a bit down because he he liked the idea that what we've currently been playing through and to be honest he's got a fair point although having not read the article i'm not not 100 sure whether um whether he does or not but um he he really likes the idea that obviously the timeline that the current quests were all set in was sort of before um and it was quite nice to be able to sort of go through and you could create your own adventures based off of that but if we get our hands on the one ring that actually does change potentially sort of the written tolkien works which he was a little bit sort of um i wouldn't say he was like upset by it because he was obviously really excited that he, that there's new content, but he was a little bit sort of like, I'm not sure how he felt about it. Um, what do you guys think about that type of stuff? I just see it as alternate universe. Oh, okay. It's just, so, I, so I just you, see it as there are some characters and you can play out a different set of possibilities with those characters. Uh, that's a nice way of looking at it. But if Galadriel did take the ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Something like that. But I, with it, it doesn't, doesn't but bother with, me with, at all. I guess with it all being having been set in the past before it all, it kind of like made it so that it could all be one universe, one shared universe. Um, because you know, the things that you've done and the characters that you play, whilst they might not sort of necessarily make sense to have been like, you know, in Harad 
you know, Gladriel and Harad at that time or whatever. But like that, you know, it could have happened. Um, but I, by, do, I just think, I see it as just an alternative exploration of the content. I don't, I don't mm. see it as even relevant to the books mm. for me personally, uh, to be yeah. honest. Plus, if you believe in the theory of parallel universes, then it shouldn't bother you at all. <laughs> parallel <laughs> universes in a made-up universe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can sympathize with that. Though. It's not. It's not as if like uh, Smeagol has taken the ring here, though. He's he's still the same character by essence. He's still going to throw a tantrum and turn into an enemy on you. It's just no. But Sme- you- Smeagol does have the ring at this point, which is um, no. He no. He, Bilbo, yeah, did he have it? No, because this happens before Bilbo goes out and finds the ring, doesn't it? Or does it happen in the seventh? It happens in between, doesn't it? In between, yeah, the Hobbit and yeah. So so Bilbo does have the ring. Yeah, we're we're Um, talking about made-up events anyway. I don't see why you can (laughs) why you can have an issue. You know, it's all made up. So Mm. I don't know. To each their own. I can kind of see yeah. his point, though. For me personally, I'm just super stoked to get more stuff, and and the idea of having a Smeagol hero just like trumps everything. I think that's fantastic, and um, it, I also am really excited about exploring Mordor before Mordor kicks right off. Do you know what I mean? Because because <laughs> it's kind of like they're obviously building up to something, like, <laughs> um, but it's not like you know crazy Mad Max style like. Thunderdomes <laughs> of orcs and you know dragons and flying around and stuff. It's kind of like I'm hoping that it's a little bit more sort of like subtle than that. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like still like you know scratch the surface and, and you know Sauron's there, but you know he's not like the blazing eye on top of a tower that he is normally. So I'm really excited about that as well. Like seeing what they do with with Mordor as a place that's fully corrupted or is, but maybe not on the surface of things. I thought the contract thing that was in the French spoilers is more interesting because that that changes the game quite a lot because that's basically a new card type. What's that? Yeah, I'm really eager to see what kind of things they're going to do with that. It looks like, um, you guys might not know this, something like an agenda from Game of Thrones version one. So if you took the agenda, it, it pretty much changed the way you built your deck and each house had different agendas that they could use. So it would sort of push you in one direction in terms of what your deck does. And you get some sort of benefit, but some sort of drawback as well. And it looks like that French one, I think the translation was something like your allies get plus one to their stats, but there's a forced effect on it. So there's obviously a downside or something. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the same sort of idea. Yes, yeah, it sounds cool. So is that like out with you from like the start or something? It's kind of almost kind of like a permanent in Arkham Horror. It could Horror, be, yes. Yeah. It could be. It used to be in Game of Thrones. It would be something you put down and, and set up. That's my agenda. Um, and there's also a leadership Frodo there, who's OP. You think so? Well, it's something about lowering your threat, wasn't it? It sounded really good from what I read. I thought it was, yeah. you spend a resource, when he commits to a quest, you spend a resource to ready another hero. I thought that's what it was. All right. And then, if, but if you quest successfully, you lower your threat by one. Ooh. Yeah, there's, it's a long text box. I didn't see that part. Okay, that's the second part of the effect, I think. That sounds better. Yeah. yeah. It's like Gimli and Galadriel rolled into Frodo. <laughs> yeah, but it looks good. Exciting. It means we've got another year of this podcast. That's right. <laughs> that's true. Maybe maybe we'll get episode two out in, t- in time for that. Yeah, one. who knows? <laughs> <laughs>
by the time people listen to this one, episode two would need to be out there, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true, actually. Three this being now. four, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little behind on our editing, but we're going to catch up. Mm. Mm, there's going to be a massive content dump. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I, I would say that. It's totally up to Joseph what goes on with it. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our first topic. For today, we're going to look at the player cards for Ghost of Framesburg Adventure Pack. Have you guys got a hold of these yet? I have. I had an epic wait for my pack. I had a lot of trouble with the eBay seller, but it finally <laughs> arrived. Um, I, before we go into it, what do you think of the quest? Um, we shouldn't spend too long on this because we're going to do a cycle review in two years, probably. Uh, <laughs> but but um, there's been a bit of controversy about this quest because some people say it's not as good as the other ones in this cycle. And uh, it's sort of like a Ruins of Belagost remake. Have you played it, Liam? I don't want to spoil it for you. No, I haven't. But don't worry about spoiling it. Um, I haven't played it. I haven't got hold of the pack yet either. Okay. Um, Have you played uh, Belagost? Has yes, Belagost yeah. played you? Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, I'm not sure whether <laughs> me playing Belagost is a fair way to say it, but um, I have put cards in front of that quest several times. <laughs> Have you been plunged by a gnarled hug? <laughs> <laughs> I quite liked Belagos, though, in terms of, like, I don't know, it was quite fun. It's like a bit of a dungeon bash, isn't it? Mm-hmm. People have said, oh, loved Belagos, but it's too hard. And it's mm-hmm. a little too random. There's some really punishing effects that you have no control over. So I was eager to get this one when they said it was kind of a remake of Belagos, but not quite as hard. Um, but there's been a little bit of disappointment, to use a strong word, in the community just because it can go really long, I think. I think part of it is the loot items aren't as exciting as they are in Belagost, and there's only three of them. Yeah, there's only three, but, which it, it, you need all three as well to uh, win. Right, you have to find every single one. Yes, and uh, that could take time. Especially if you're doing so, playing solo, right? Yeah, do you want to... Do you want me to say how I did it? Because I'd, I'd read your um, comments, let's say, on Facebook and seen <laughs> other people's tweets and things. So I went into it with that knowledge that, okay, mm-hmm. there's something, something wrong, let's say, with this quest. I need to plan appropriately. So there's a location you can use to pull one of these loot objectives out of the discard pile. And I thought, right, this must be the thing you need. So I started off with that one. And um, I didn't play it right because it didn't work out. But I think if you do take that one, it's called the Forgotten Crypt, and you just leave it there in the staging area and just play as normal and then use it when you need to grab one out of the Discopa. I think it makes the quest much better. Mm-hmm. And the other card I ran to make this quest work a bit better was Shadow of the Past because it lets you put the loot back on, or the whatever you call it. It is a loot, isn't it, in this? You can put it back on top of the encounter deck if it gets discarded as a, an encounter card. Right, and so that made it much more um, enjoyable because the first time I played, I went through that experience of waiting and waiting. I just got bored. It's just boring. Yeah, yeah I had like three Guardians of Esgaroth tooled up, and I was <laughs> I was questing for twenty seven without exhausting this sort of thing. It was just boring. Right, so, so I, you, I, you really need some location manipulation to make mm-hmm. it interesting. Bring those Dunedain sort of guys who can pull locations right. out. And then I was using the compass, Mariner's mm-hmm. compass. I could get rid of a nasty location and try to find a better one. Find that there's two of those crypts. So if you can use both of those crypts to get a loot, 
you only have to find one other crypt, which makes it more reasonable. Yes. Yeah, you can normally do that by discovering stuff. I quite like the quest, though. It was quite cool. Yeah, I think it's a lot better than some people think it is, just because you need to approach it a certain way. And most quests are that way. Some quests are just generic quest and fight. But if they were all that way, it'd be boring. So I like it. You need to tech against it, but not because it's difficult, because it's a little bit flawed. <laughs> but if you if you address the flaws and build around them, then I think it gets much better. I don't know if it's a flaw, if it just well, challenges you. If you don't build correctly, you won't be able to do what you need to do. And that's not necessarily a flaw, it's just a challenge. Well, is it challenging to sit there for an hour waiting for a artifact loot to show up? Not really, it's boring. That's what it I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, just, yeah. So I'm not trying to say, I don't mean to say you're wrong. It's just normally you tech against something because something's uh, disgusting. There's some enemy, wraith right. on wings, whatever. Whereas this, it's just you do not want to spend 45 minutes milling the encounter day waiting for something to turn up and then discard it again and go, right, I've had enough. I really like the pacing. Uh, the pacing in most of these quests has been really good. Um, there's a lot of cards that have an X value where that X is the, I think, 10 digits of your threat counter, mm-hmm. uh, which we've seen in a couple of quests before, but it makes things harder as you go on. And then the other cool thing, I don't hope I'm not spoiling stuff for you, Liam, but the no, no, no. boss uh, levels up as you get more and more loot, his stats go up, and he gets more shadow cards, which can be very brutal. Yeah, the shadow cards thing was uh, pretty exciting because I think he gets three yeah. by the end. Yeah, and some of those are bad. <laughs> yes. And also, he can come out in the middle of the quest because he's in the encounter deck. He's not set aside out of play. Right. You just keep bumping into him. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny. But he's not some lurker in the depths. Is that what was in Belagos? Yeah. Yeah, that thing's horrible. You can only take three damage around. If he comes out um, mid game and you beat him, but it, he still stays in the discard pile. He's not like a mm-hmm. victory or anything like that. No, no. No, no. no he's just an undead good. guy. I was just having a quick look at the um, at the objective items, and I can kind of see the complaint about them being a bit boring because Belagost had some really like cool looking items that you would find and get like proper loot, and this is kind of like a key, a lantern, and some teeth. Yeah, so dirty old lantern. A key is useful. Yeah, a key is useful, but it's kind of like they just don't look cool. They don't look uh, like loot. They look like trash. <laughs> If, if you're playing, if you're playing like D and D or some other like sort of like game like that, and you go into sort of a dungeon and you like loot everything, like it's the it's the cool magical items and the swords and the wands and you know the gold and treasure. Armor. It's kind of like yeah, armor and stuff. It's kind of like I'm not sure how exciting it would be if you found a key, a lantern, and some teeth. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, like just you know, in an visually. old man's house. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. Great, great grave robin. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And um, I think the way you were talking about sort of like the quest being a little bit like flawed, um, it was sort of reminding me of, I can't remember the name of the quest, but you know, there's that one, it's a saga quest, I think. And it's the one where there's like trolls. That one felt a bit flawed as well in terms of like the mechanics didn't quite work on it. Like, because you had to, it was something like to do with like a treasure or like something like that. But if oh, you, got discarded. you mean, I know the one. We must away. You need a yeah, troll that's it. And a troll purse. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you, you like 
I think you could like win without them, but like you wouldn't get the treasure or something like that. But if you wanted to wait for it, like and it got discarded as a shadow card or something like that, then it, it would meant you had to just recycle the whole encounter deck and just sort of sit there for like another forty-five minutes. But I, I think they might have errated that though and said that if it gets discarded, or they might have changed it slightly because it felt a bit broken the first time I played it. Anyway, it was reminding me when you guys were talking about that. Mm. Yeah, it can be really, really, really hard to get those treasures in the hobbit box still i don't think this quest is, a, is as bad as um people made out Mm-mm, i think it's good i kind of like how they're making locations a little more important that's been kind of a thing people have said the locations don't have much flavor but i think they've done a good job at making them more impactful in this cycle like those crypts those are really important you've got to use them correctly otherwise you won't have a good experience and the same thing with this Magundabad, there's like two unique locations in the encounter deck. And there's uh, Dagnir's Horde is a seven threat location just lurking in the encounter deck. <laughs> it's pretty dramatic when it comes out. And then there's another unique one that really helps you if you use it correctly, too. So I think I like the way they're using locations, and I think you just have to approach it carefully. Mm. It's hard to do um, the sort of things they can do in Arkham around locations because that's much easier to control in that game. It's harder mm, to do that right. in this game. Whereas normally in this game, you just go somewhere and it doesn't make that big of a difference. So I, right. think, I, I agree with you. It's nice to have some decision uh, points now. Yeah, the way they did locations in Arkham was a stroke of genius, really. Like It was like, because there's so many similarities to uh, Lord of the Rings and Arkham when I started playing Arkham from having played an awful lot of Lord of the Rings. And uh, but one of the and like people like people would ask me, oh, you know, would you prefer Arkham or Lord of the Rings? And I'd be like, oh, I like them both. Um, I think I prefer Lord of the Rings because there's a lot of nostalgia there for me, and I love the theme of Lord of the Rings as well. But one of the things that I really recognised that Arkham did a lot better was was the locations, being able to actually sort of like travel to places. It almost kind of like built a map, and I think it's really a very cool way of doing it. Although I don't miss putting all the little connecting pieces out on Lord of the Rings. That can be yeah. kind of a brain yeah, buster. That's, that's true. Like constantly looking at it, like, can I actually go here? Or like, you know, like I yeah. need to like match them up and stuff. Yeah, that that is, uh, and it really takes up a lot of table room as well. Um, and I get to play yeah, with the Arkham Horror legend, Nathan Early, who lives in Portland. He has all this, he's pimped out his game like crazy and has three yeah. props for every single card and everything is pretty amazing still it's hard yeah, to little, figure out where you can go <laughs> little miniatures for all of the for all of the enemies and stuff I've, I've seen a few photos that you sent on whatsapp it looks absolutely incredibly fun to play like that i don't play by myself because it looks so bad <laughs> <laughs> you're spoiled it's spoiled for you anyway uh, ryan and i haven't played a uh, game of framesburg yet but i'm I played it three player, played it two player, played it solo. And if you approach it right, I think you can have a good time still. We'll get a video out soon. Yeah. Well, I think by the time this comes out, we'll have done a video. (laughs) More than likely. (laughs) Check out the video. Uh, All right. Should we do some reviews? Let's look at the hero. I believe this is mine. It falls to me. I don't know if I went first on the last episode. Doesn't look like I did. Go for it. I've got the wrong I've got the wrong notes open. Sorry. <laughs> Preparation fail. Okay, here we go. So this is um, 
Dane Ironfoot. Now, I know it's supposed to be Dane Ironfoot, but I'm going to say Dane out of habit. Okay, so a new version of Dane Ironfoot. He is from the Spirit Sphere. 11 threat cost, 1 willpower, 2 attack, 3 defense, 5 health. He is a dwarf, a noble, and a warrior. So different to his previous version already. And it says, while Dane Ironfoot is defending, he gains action. Discard the top card of your deck to give Dane Ironfoot plus one defense for this attack. Limit three times per phase. Any thoughts on him? He is quite the defender. He is probably the strongest defender without any cards in play on turn one in the game, right? Well, he is. Yeah. Yeah. He he absolutely is the strongest defender because he can get up to six. And he has five pit points, which is... As good as it gets. One Short more than Baragond. Mm-hmm. So he can survive a 10 attack on turn one? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Provided you don't mind discarding the top three cards of your deck. Right. Which you shouldn't do if they are all unknown to you and of equal value. <laughs> and that's the big decision that has to be made, I suppose, if you want to use his ability. So my question is, have you played him? Have you used him yet? I have not. I've seen you use him. I can't figure out what to do with him yet. What deck to put him in? He's kind of high. Well, he's going to go in a mining deck, but then figure out how to make a mining deck quest high enough. You've been doing it. You tell us how it's been going. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get into that in a minute. What do you think of him, Liam? Yeah, I think uh, obviously he uh, he screams sort of like dwarf mining deck. Um, And uh, yeah, I I quite like him on the surface of things. And I think as well, it's quite interesting that they've done it like plus one defense for this attack and also given it a limit as well. So they've kind of tried to sort of um, maybe learn from their previous Dane mistakes and sort of not make him so bonkers ridiculous because um, it's nice to have those types of limits because it makes for more interesting decisions, really. Um, You know, perhaps he is a great defender, but... um, you know, you could only really sort of do that for maybe sort of a handful of defenses at most, um, uh, sort of by reading his text box. I like him though; I really do. Um, I've, I think it makes me want to revisit the dwarf mine index. Normally, I play dwarf swarm if I play dwarfs, so I think dwarf uh, dwarf mine index would work really well in one of those. Um, I think I remember you playing dwarf mining as well. In fact, actually, sort of when we were sort of a number of years ago when we were playing with physical cards. I think I remember you playing a dwarf mining deck then. So um yeah, you've you've actually played with him. does he work well in a dwarf mining deck? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well yes he does, but I I I have not actually tried him in the context of a dwarf mining deck. That's the thing. Oh, okay. Because um so I think it could it could work, but one of the decks that has like got the most likes or whatever on Rings DB that I've made is that Dwarf Mining deck. And when I first built that deck, I tried not to use Purple Dane. I tried to use another Dwarf Hero, and it just could not quest for enough ever. So I had to yeah. go back to using Dane Ironfoot. There was nothing I could do. There probably is something you could do, like run three copies of Ally Faramir or something. But I just couldn't get it to work consistently, so I had to go back to him. And I think I haven't tested it. Um, I have seen you actually try something, Joseph, now that I think about it, where you could use different dwarf heroes. So you might use Dane Ironfoot with Thorin and uh, maybe a lore hero, and you might get enough willpower. But um, I think it would struggle in the early game to quest 
And uh, I, I have a memory of playing something alongside you, and you were trying to make it work. And the only way it could work is if you got the Arkenstone down. Right. Which is cool for dwarves. Which I never did. <laughs> yeah, but I think it really struggled. And I think I tried to make something as well with Thor and Oakenshield, and I just couldn't get it to work. I personally don't really like blind mining either. Gandalf's uh, the guide, right? I believe so. I, I much prefer mining when I know what's coming. I suppose it does make it easier, but it makes it more fun in terms of strategizing for me personally, because you can do more tricks, like swapping cards from the top of your deck and choosing what to discard mm-hmm. when you've got Gandalf um, showing you what's there. And I just don't like it when I discard something that I really want in the other deck and go, ah, oh, well. Also, those decks tend to be trisphere, and so they're a bit slow. Mm-hmm. Dwarf stuff is quite expensive. They don't have a lot of, well, they don't have any one-cost allies apart from that sellsword and the really wimpy dude, the bookkeeper. Uh, bookkeeper what are yeah. yeah, record keeper. Yeah. <laughs> we both think he's a bookie. <laughs> <laughs> so so Dane, deck- this Dane might not be so much of a dwarf deck card, but maybe more of a just defender card. I think he's just a solid defender. He's got a lot of upsides for me, one of which is being spirit because he's got access to lots of cancellation and uh, unexpected courage in Sphere, which is so good on defense. And the other card I've been using with him, which is really fun, is the Silver Lamp, Mm -hmm. because it gives you complete knowledge of the shadow cards that are dealt to your enemies. So the deck I've been using him in, in, uh, the deck I've been using him in is with Gandalf and Arwen. And I was playing it a lot today. I I basically played it all day, actually, because I really wanted to take a weekend (laughs) off. So I played a lot of different quests today. It's really fun, first of all, because you get to do all the mining tricks. But Arwen, like, she's getting a bit old now, but uh, she makes it stronger because you get four resources on turn one. So I put in three copies of Treebeard to trivialize the combat phase. (laughs) Uh, And uh, because I was having a bit of trouble with combat in the deck, and he really did help me out there. So I'm glad he exists. But that's really strong being able to do that. And then actually... It's hard to talk about him without really talking about stuff that comes out in the next pack, because in the next pack, there's a piece of armor that's really good on him, and also uh, a dwarf ally that makes an attachment um, cost two less when you play this guy. So you can do this really, really strong combo, where if you get the dwarf toy maker, the Erebor toy maker, you can play him, and then you can get Unexpected Courage for free, or the Erebor armor for free, or Gandalf's staff for free on turn one. And it's just really strong to be able to do that stuff. Having Dane defend him for four with Sentinel, if you get the armor. Quest mm-hmm. for six still with Gandalf and Arwen. And you could even play a two willpower ally. So I'm really enjoying that deck. And hopefully it'll be on YouTube soon. Because we played it, didn't we play it yesterday? Played uh, mm-hmm. Game of Umbar so. and we, we rolled it, <laughs> I think. We played Dale. Dale and Dane. <laughs> yeah. So right now he is one of my favorite heroes and I really enjoy wow. playing him. Yeah. The other thing, I think what people find difficult about deck discard is they always want the cards that are on top of your deck. Like they don't want to discard stuff because it's seen as a cost. But once you get past that mindset, you can really start to see your deck as another resource that's available to you. Because how many times do you even get through your entire deck in a game? If you're, unless you're playing something like Dale or, uh, maybe hobbits that draw a lot of cards most of the time you don't so there might be 20 cards there that are available to you as a resource that you didn't use it's a bit like boromir there's 
X number, X amount of threat that you could use without losing the game. And the same goes for your deck. So if you don't care what you discard, then you can use this ability freely. And often I find myself with something on the top of the deck I don't actually want, like my second or third copy of Treebeard. So I'll defend with him and just discard it, even though I don't need to raise his defense to filter and get me to something that I actually want to mm-hmm. draw next turn. Or you can do cool stuff like if you've got hidden cash in hand, you swap it to the top of your deck in the combat phase with Gandalf and then chuck it away if you don't need to, even if you don't need to, to get the two resources. There's just so many cool little tricks you can do. Uh, It's really fun to play. Mm -hmm. So I I strongly recommend Dane Ironfoot. That's my (laughs) review of him. Do you think he's... I guess, yeah. If you think of... Just pretend you're discarding cards off the bottom of your deck instead of the top, and then it doesn't hurt as bad, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe if you, <laughs> if, well, if you can't see them, I guess you, doesn't you know, matter. If you can't see them, it doesn't matter, provided you, let's say they're all equal value to you. Why would you care if you lose right. one over the other? But of course, there might be some cards you want for the particular quest, and that's why I like playing it with Gandalf because if there is something I'm looking for, and there often is in that deck because it starts at 34 threat. So I've actually I've got some threat reduction, believe it or not, Joseph. What? I know. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. He's 11 threat. It's pretty steep. And then yeah. putting Gandalf with him, that's 25 threat. thing is, though, you, you could easily make a case for him to be the best defender in the game. And so if you've got the best defender in the game on turn one, why do you care if an enemy engages you early? And that's you've got three true. copies of Unexpected Courage in your deck. You're going to see it. You don't care most of the time. It's only the only time I get wrecked, to be honest, is on something like Journey on the Anduin, where you get a troll followed by a crow, followed by a <laughs> wolf rider, <laughs> followed by something else. That was what ate me alive earlier. And that's what convinced me to put in some threat reduction as it goes. It's already also, looks like he wouldn't care. <laughs> no, he does not care. He's going directly in on that orc. <laughs> With his shield as well. Yeah, which is fun. Like a defensive riposte. You could definitely give a, give a pretty strong argument for being, him being the best defender in the game. But I see his, I mean, and maybe this might not be true when, when you actually sort of play him, but it kind of feels like with the limit being three times per phase, and also it is only plus one defense for that attack, mm-hmm. you could potentially get swamped with him. So he's a pretty awesome defender, defending sort of like one or two other large guys. But if you get swamped by sort of like, you no know, four, five, six enemies, then, um, you know, that could be a bit scary. Isn't that true for every defender, though? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also with, you know, his access to unexpected courage. But I suppose my point is sort of like by having him as your sort of main man. Oh, if you rely on his ability for the defensive stat. Yeah. And also, you know, if you're just relying on just Dane as well um, to get you out of any sort of defensive issues that could potentially be a problem. I'm trying to think if it has been. I think there have been a couple of times where I've, I've started to take it up against some more difficult quests and it's starting to struggle. Uh, mm. But I guess most decks would struggle against that. Like I played Poros earlier. Mm. I was hoping I could get a win, but it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, very difficult quest. But um, so what happens is... Play? Go on, sorry. No, no, go for it. I was going to say what happens is in that deck, because you've got three copies of the armor that gives him plus one defense he gets to five and then you've got less of a need to use his ability as the game goes on, which is good because mm-hmm. your deck's getting smaller anyway. So I tend to use it a lot in the early game more so. I also mm-hmm. use it depending on what's on top of the deck and what's attacking me. Like if I can take a wound on him, I don't mind. 
because I know I can boost him. You see, so it depends on the situation, really. Yeah, and I okay. guess sort of having that early game boost is uh, pretty important for you know good defenders. That's why Barragon works so well. You know, able to get all like attachments on him pretty cheap early. Um, I think yeah, Barragon probably st- would still get the crown for the best defender. I kind of I, feel like he might, but yeah, <laughs> I, I might be tempted to put this guy in the top three, though. Who else given is my in experience? Top three? Um, probably the other Barragond, and maybe Grimbjorn. Mm. Grimbjorn is like a, a offensive defender; he can destroy yeah, stuff different. when he gets set up. Does Erkan, does Erkan Brand make it into your top five? Probably, yeah. yeah. He needs a bit of support, though. I would say compared to Dane Ironfoot. Mm. Yeah, Dane's ability is just so strong mm-hmm. right away. It really is. He can take a frenzy pill troll. Yes, he can. I I did it earlier. (laughs) (laughs) I guess your ability has to be pretty baller if you share a name and a unique character with arguably Mm -hmm. one of the most broken heroes in the game <laughs> like <laughs> the most sort of like ridiculous but then what i quite like from what you're saying and i don't know if sort of misinterpreting it but what I, what I quite like is sort of you don't put him in necessarily in a dwarf deck he just works as a spirit defender yeah i i haven't tried him in a dwarf deck mm. apart from the really crap one that i tried to make and gave up mm. <laughs> i quite like that because um because i don't think you're ever gonna Usurp original Dane, are you? If you're, really. if you're building dwarves, it's hard no. not to put that guy in. And yeah, so many cards without him. Uh, yeah, exactly. So many cards for the for the dwarf decks have been made since then with him in mind. So it's mm. kind of like they feel a bit weak if he's not there, or well, in terms of willpower. Anyway. Being in spirit, he brings some good questers along as well. There's lots of two cost, two willpower questers in spirit. So my mm. deck get, can get up to about twenty four willpower, which is good. It's enough for most quests that I've come up against so far. So many wimpy allies, you know, Galadriel's handmaiden and this kind of thing. <laughs> what uh, um, what uh, sphere is the attachment that you were talking about in the next Spirit. Part? Sweet. Because mm. I was just thinking, sort of, that might be a bit tricky. It sounds like you're playing, like, two spirit heroes. and, and uh, Super heroes. easy to afford. It costs two, plus one defense and sentinel. So uh, nice. great for multiplayer as well. And I think the game we played yesterday, Joseph, you had Hallberg of Mail as well. And uh, that went on him. So he was, I think he was six defense with six health. Yeah, the that's the other thing I was going to say. His traits are really good for <laughs> Sorry. all the attachments we've been kidding. Yes. Um, Being a noble, he can take the ancestral. Right. That, Our new favorite like attachment. Five, seven. That's pretty crazy for one attachment. And he could mm. be eight, seven, eight defense with one attachment. And yeah, he also has the warrior trait, so he could take the Raymond of War. That'd be a quick one attachment enabler there. Then he'd be four defense with seven hit points. Something I yeah. thought about earlier as well when I was toying around with the deck is if you put Ring of Barra here with Magic Ring on him, he gets plus two health and a ready. And there's also uh, an artifact in this pack that we'll get to later for dwarves. So that will give him three health <laughs> and two readies and healing, maybe. Well, I'm going to have to try him. Mm, I I recommend you do. He's he's ready. Try your deck, actually. <laughs> yes, I've sent it to you already. <laughs> Play it. I need to tweak maybe, it and improve it. Maybe I'll do that at three thirty when we're done here. <laughs> cool. Should we move <laughs> on? So uh, the next card is Soldier of Erebor, and he is a dwarf warrior, and he is in the leadership sphere. Um, five cost, zero willpower, three attack, three defense, three hit points. That's pretty. 
nice rounded stats. So it's an action here. Discard the top three cards from your deck to ready Soldier of Erebor. Limit once per round. Cool. So he seems like a sort of a mini Dane in some respects. He's got quite a similar sort of thing going on. He's defending. Um, and I guess he might be able to help you out if you do get swamped and you're playing Dane and Dane's taking the big hits. Then you've got this guy that can take a bunch of small hits for you. And it just costs you, you know, a bunch of cards. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, um, again, sort of like, it is making me want to revisit Dwarf Mining for sure with all of these discard cards. Is there enough cards with a, with good benefits when you discard them, though? To really not really, no. Like, yeah, there's not, like, tons, there's is only there? two. Mm. There's only the Hidden Cache and the Ered Luin Miner, and they're both fun, uh, but there's not a huge... Or oh, Glorfindor is the other one I run, because you can play mm. it from the discard pile. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I can see with this guy costing five, that being a bit of an issue but he is in leadership and he's got that going for him i guess have uh, either of you played this uh, fellow yet no no he's Probably he, he, he seems more like it. a he's more like an old dwarf card to me if, mm-hmm. if, you, if that makes sense like dane's a new one and this this guy feels a little bit more like an old style of dwarf deck card just because he's so expensive that yeah. five cost is so ooh. um because you can't even like get him really with a um, um, the one where you sort of like tap two allies and discard. Like you hardly ever pick the five ones because you want to. And often you're tapping like two, three costs or something like that. He'd be good for playing a very good tail because you could work through half your deck that way. You could uh, tap him for the very good tail, then ready him up, and you get through eight cards that way. <laughs> That's sort Ooh. of what makes me feel like he goes better in those decks because they play that card. Right, uh, and you might not need to run the um, Erebor Battlemaster anymore off Sphere, because if That's this true. guy's coming in for four, that might be enough. Presuming yeah. those decks are running the old Dane, of course. <laughs> I, I'm right. assuming it's going to be <laughs> hitting for four. Uh, on the traits thing, um, again, he's going to be getting access to some good stuff, being leadership, being a warrior. He could be mm. a four, f- four, three with a Hallberk, mm-hmm. and. Uh, a tasty 5-5 five, five with an Ancestral for a mere nine resources. <laughs> <laughs> Three turns of a Monos leadership deck. Yeah. It's yeah, he's kind of really expensive. I don't know what I'll do with this guy. Maybe secrecy build with um, timely aid as well is a good way to get this guy out. Could be another way. Like he's, he's beefy, isn't he? I'd be happy to get him in for one cost. He's... Yeah. Um, I quite like the fact that he can attack and he can defend as well. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's got decent stats for both yeah. those types of things. It's, it's quite nice sort of having a guy that can ready himself, that can chip him with three damage or, you know, defend a couple of times in a pinch. So there's, you know, he's definitely got that going for him. But five cost is uh, oof, pretty steep. Definitely got the swag in terms of the armor. Yeah. yeah. Some seriously expensive gold plated <laughs> suit. Must be us. I love the guy as well behind him on the right. It's just like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> it's blowing in his ear. Generally. I never <laughs> noticed these random goblins in artworks until you point them out to me. Yeah, <laughs> it does look like he's about to chew his ear off, <laughs> or somebody just and, uh, took off one of his body parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, like the smile on the soldier as well. I can. They'd make quite a nice couple, actually. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like he's having a good time. He does slay an orcs left and right. <laughs> All right, you ready to move on to the next card? Mm-hmm. Short and sweet. Uh, next card is Man the Walls. It's a leadership event. Uh, it's free, zero cost. Uh, it says play only if no other copies of Man the Walls have been played this round. To planning action, reduce the cost of the next ally played by each player this phase by one. Those allies cannot quest this round. Have you so played this, this helps yet? You. I have not. No, nor I have I, but I, I really, really want to. This seems good, you know. This seems I think good. this is amazing. And, and if you could you imagine combining that with what's that side quest where everyone gets to reduce the cost of their allies by one as well? Combine these two. Whew. Is there a side quest that does that? Oh, oh no, maybe no. no, no, you just get the ally for free, don't you? It's not. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my bad. But no, this, uh, yeah, this, this seems really good. I can't imagine anyone being that upset because you're not going to quest with every ally, are you? So, no. yeah, this is a good way to get your combat allies into play for cheap. Mm. Maybe your soldier of Erebor for only four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this, um, this is um, obviously pretty strong in multiplayer. This goes right. up and up as uh, the more players you get in the game. So, I mean, for zero, if you're playing solo, you might be you're just getting one reduction. But zero for four reductions if you're playing four player, that's pretty good. You know, that's some sweet efficiency right there. Mm. I'm looking at it and trying to think of ways to use it. I know before I was thinking, oh, there's lots of allies that you want to play who don't quest, like Master of the Forge and all these utility allies that you, you don't, some of them you don't quest with, but some of them you don't care if they don't quest the first round. Combat allies as well, you know? It's exactly, all of those, all of those. Um, and I think in solo, if you've got a Trisphere, this is essentially a free resource on the first turn. It's not confined to a leadership ally either, so you can do your Master of the Forge and Trisphere decks. Mm-hmm. It might be a little bit annoying if you play Ally Arwen first, but that's the only thing I can think of that's like the one case where I actually want to exhaust the ally. I just think it looks really strong, and especially in four-player as well. Because uh, okay. how strong is Legacy of Numenor? Legacy of Numenor does give resources directly, and there's three of them. But still, does, this doesn't have Doom 4 written on it. <laughs> kind of like Campfire Tales. It's just kind of a no-brainer for four. Yeah, zero, four player, right? zero cost for pseudo four resources. That's I think that's only, really strong, personally. The only, tricky th- the only tricky thing is, obviously, because you know you absolutely cannot talk about what's in your hand whilst playing. Right, right. That, is, right. that is one of the rules, right? So there is that. So you oh. do have to kind of do it a bit blind, sort of like, you know, I hope everyone is planning to play an ally that's not going to quest this turn and uh, <laughs> chuck it down. <laughs> Thing is, though, if it doesn't quest that turn, let's say it's a Trisphere deck, it's put you a turn ahead. So even if that ally doesn't quest, you still you got it on the it board. Anyway. Exactly. You've got it on you the board a turn earlier. Yes, that's why I think this is so strong. And this is the sort of card that people would overlook. You're like, nah, there's a drawback to it. I can't use it. But nah, I, I only but see an draw- upside here. The drawback is, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not even like you know, like a ridiculous drawback at all, really. No, I mean, yeah, I really like this card. I think it's uh, pretty awesome. I mean, it's um, it's nice that it's like you know they've got their little sort of you know you can't 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 spam all three of them in one go or <laughs> in four player play twelve of them. <laughs> 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 you know, yeah. It's a free allies, but um, 
<laughs> but um, yeah, quite so. I quite like you know. I've said this before, I think, but they're definitely sort of uh, learning to reduce the power of cards early <laughs> rather than later with Baratas. I feel like this could fit in the sort of Aristor Gondor decks that usually play mm. Wealth of Gondor. Uh, mm-hmm. you, sometimes you bring those to a four-player table, you can spam out a load of allies, and those Wealth of Gondors don't do much for anybody else, do they? It's sort of yeah, the same card. Yeah, it helps everybody else of. as well. Mm. Yeah. And it's not limited to Gondor. I sort of thought of that because there's blokes with uh, the White Tower of Gondor <laughs> on, on the card, so I don't know whether that's a hint um, in terms of how to use it, but yeah, uh, any, yeah, any swarm deck. Me too, me too. I'll be trying this in solo as well. I'd say yeah, it's not a card you, you want to see late game, though, is it? Mm. Hopefully Unless you have a tight fun. resource curve, yeah. Mm. Or, or, or Trisphere. Trisphere late game, you can still have to plan mm-hmm. ahead with, with what allies or what cards you're going to play, and this helps you quite a little bit with that. I think one place you probably wouldn't run this is a Sylvan deck. I was just thinking that. Really? It's a planning ah. action. <laughs> but <laughs> well, it's, also it's a planning action. You get those. Uh, you get that little bonus on Sylvan, and if you're playing Galadriel, mm. they they sometimes quest for one. No matter who they are, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. The old defender of the Nath coming yeah, down just... in the planning phase, questing for one, defending for three. <laughs> yeah, good enough then. Yeah, should we move on? So the next card is Mirkwood Hunter. This is a lore ally. He costs four. He's got two willpower, two attack, two defense, and three health. So he's a pseudo-mediocre hero. <laughs> uh, he is a woodman and a ranger. He's got ranged. And he says, reduce the cost to play Mirkwood Hunter by one for each attachment on the active location. So some linkage here to the uh, woodman deck, if you like, playing around with attachments on the active location. Now, when I saw this guy, I was not massively impressed, to be honest, because of that mediocre stat line and the cost of four. Uh, but... I have seen him used a bit. And when he comes down for cost one, that is mighty satisfying. I've warmed up to him a little bit, but I've not actually tried him myself. So I'll hand over to you, Joseph, because you got excited then. <laughs> I am excited. <laughs> um, oh, boy. That's good. Quite good. You have to have somebody playing a Haldan deck. But yeah, playing this guy for one is amazing. And I have had turns where I played two of these guys for one each in a turn. And that, I mean, getting 18 stats on the table for two cost that's amazing and he can quest he can ranged is good he can use a ranger spear if you wanted but yeah he's just a big meaty guy he's like a it's um, <laughs> 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 <an> evil giggle <laughs> it's you talking about meat again <laughs> what's, <this> <laughs> uh, um, what's the sylvan Ally that's the same stats, has range and sentinel. Haldir. Oh, yeah. He's like a Haldir that's non unique that you can get for really, really cheap. He's awesome. Mm. Mm. And if one person is playing a Haldan deck, everyone can run this guy and play him for cheap. It's amazing. Have there been any situations where you uh, couldn't get him out because there were no attachments on the active location or something like that? Did he ever get stuck in your hand? He will get stuck in your hand for maybe a turn or two, but you'll know that. You're going to get him in pretty soon. But yeah, it's kind of annoying. But So that can happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just wondering because I think if you are playing the Woodman deck, another way to get this guy out would be the Elf Stone. Mm-hmm. So he's not necessarily going to clog your hand if you are having a bad game, uh, as can happen with those decks, because I've seen it twice. 
<laughs> YouTube. That seems a little bit more reassuring to me. Just um, yeah, the two 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 is always like, oh, what am I going to do with them? You could put some leather boots on them and use them twice. Mm. Yeah, good use for the boots. They were looking for a home last episode. <laughs> yeah, I've actually really warmed up to those boots. <laughs> you put them on. They're the boots warmed me. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Get your feet warm. They're good. They're one cost. It's super cheap, and they give you a lot of ready. And it, sometimes I've crashed hard because I didn't get it ready with my tree beard or something. But I've been liking them. They're better mm. than I thought. Anyway, that's all I have to say about the Merkwood Hunter. He's good, but pretty much for the Woodman deck. Or if someone at the table is playing the Woodman. What are you thinking, Liam? Yeah, I think you covered it pretty well, to be honest. He looks a bit like Robin Hood. That was the only thing I was thinking. <laughs> he looks like the French guy who cut my hair last week. <laughs> French Robin Hood. <laughs> it's got a pretty nice haircut, though, so you obviously went to the right place. Did you go for something similar? Is this what uh, you look like now, Rob? No, that's not what I look like. Sorry. <laughs> I can't grow a, a grow a mane like that. Is that a man bun back there? Just looking. Oh, probably. It's a cycle. Ew. <laughs> At least he has a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he knows how to hold a bow, though. That looks pretty sketchy. Yeah. I was thinking that. It doesn't look like he's going to fire that arrow very successfully. His bow can't have more than about a 20-pound draw if he's holding his arm like that. <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> Joseph, you probably know this. Is, do, you, do you knock an arrow or do you notch an arrow? I've been really confused because I was playing a bit of Barkham and I had the uh, ornate bow. Is it knock or notch? Knock or is the Yeah. See, I, that's the first way that I've started to hear it. But I've always in the past said notch. You notch. I wondered if it was an English thing, but then I think I was just saying it wrong for my entire life. Won't be the first time either. It was quite funny in Arkham, actually. I, I uh, fired the ornate bow at someone that was engaged, uh, an enemy that was engaged in my friend. <laughs> and yeah. only one ca- only one counter could have stopped it. This happened twice. <laughs> and I pulled it. It was the red one. And I killed I killed uh, the person I was playing with. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I've killed someone. <laughs> it was quite funny. Nice. You must have been holding the bow like he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shall All we look right. at the uh, next card? Mm. Um, I think this one is mine. Uh, Familiar Lands. It is a one-cost lore event. An action, each location with player card attachment, gets minus two threat until the end of the phase. So um, more tech for these woodman decks it's pretty cool does it feel like the woodman deck is beginning to really come together with these additional cards not to me no not this one anyway no. sorry not with this, one. <laughs> this this is my um episodical poo poo coming out here so I can i guess why why it's a poo poo well because it was initially spoiled in french and the translation hasn't made it any better oh really well, this um, this one I can imagine not being so great because if you've got attachments on it, then you know minus two threat. You're probably going to be getting rid of it quite soon, aren't you? Well, um, I think the woman deck tries to pile attachments on one location, not spread them around. Mm. Uh, so this would be one resource for minus two threat on the active location, <laughs> which <laughs> would be really bad. Um, <laughs> Please tell me some other use, Joseph. Only thing I can think of is just a different kind of wooden deck or a wooden deck that's just going all out for attachments and putting things like Hith Lane and mm. Power in the Earth on locations in the staging area. or Guarded um, ceaselessly, that one. Or guarded cards, too. Yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, the Woodman deck I built, it was just putting every single attachment you can on the active location to get good stuff out of it and play your Mirkwood Hunters. So yeah, I have no use for this in the deck that I played, but maybe there's a different kind of deck that will be viable. But this is not a favorite of mine so far. I wonder if you like sort of like prepped uh, locations, like sort of if you're like sort of thinking quite far ahead and sort of maybe play some attachments on some locations, prepping them for the big turn when you know you've got a Merkwood Hunter in your hand, or you know, or the turn where Elfstone will work really well for you. Or the turn where you don't want to give it all to your mate, you want to have it because you're player one. I wonder if like those like those kind of situations it seems a bit peripheral though, and like having that card seems a bit like, well, you're kind of waiting for a bit of a miracle turn that is probably not going to happen, and uh, you're still paying one from at most like minus six threat then, which is good, but it seems like a bit of a, an outlier turn really. Uh, in theory, you could get a lot of threat reduction temporarily from this card, pseudo question if you like, but equally it could be a dead card for four to five turns while you wait for a location to have a player card attachment on it. I just don't see it myself. What I commented, though, when this was first spoiled was that this is a sort of card that somebody will bring to a game night and there'll be that one time where they use it to save the team from something and you'll never ever stop hearing about how great this card is when really it sucks <laughs> it's just did something once i feel like secret pass would be better than this mm. just run secret pass and you'll get four minus four threat on one thing or minus seven if it's that horde that you talked about earlier dagnir's horde right yeah i suppose if you know you i suppose if you know you've got it in your hand then you could purposely spread those attachments out you could be like oh my gosh there's like four locations yeah but then you're just really, playing really hurting your own yeah. deck you're, you're, you're playing suboptimally to make a suboptimal card work yeah i'm just trying to find <laughs> trying to think of a way know, sorry way. you're trying to be positive i know <laughs> one place i did sort of think this might help just from my memories of being beaten down many times is in um journey to the crossroads because i was trying to put attachments on locations in the staging area didn't want to travel to them so i was trying to guard them ceaselessly and i thought this could actually help a lot in that quest because you only need mm. to get 20 progress on the main quest and then do some other stuff so if you can get all that down there you don't really need to worry about your willpower too much anymore so this could help you there but even then i feel like you need to deal with the enemies more in that quest what, what if it's an action run wouldn't it the rangers of Athelion having familiar lands yeah yeah maybe <laughs> i'll try to make that work then <laughs> theme <laughs> what if it said um action each location with an attachment gets minus two threat or minus two what what do they call it it's not uh you know the actual sort of like health of the location what's quest that? points what's that would be strong is it quest points until the end of the phase and then that way even if you had piled on the active location at least you've reduced it by the quest points um for the amount of attachment that might be a little bit more sort of appropriate for the type of decks that you guys are describing that would work really well with Northern Trackers. I mean, you could knock them all out in one go, I suppose. Probably be too strong. Yeah, I'd probably be a bit too down on it. I don't mean to be negative, but um, well, it does always one card. There's <laughs> always one. Yeah. I mean, I think there's uh, a spirit event called Courage Awaken that gives you plus two willpower for a turn. So if it can do that, it's equal to that card, but that's not a strong card either. So. And, and I also think there's plenty enough ways in law to mess around with the threat of locations that this card just seems a bit pointless 
And Courage Awakens is not conditional either. It's just give a hero to willpower. And that can right. be useful in certain quests. And it's free as well. So this is still getting worse and worse. <laughs> yeah, the more he yeah. tries to save it, it sinks deeper. Then let's move on. All right. Bye-bye to familiar lands. Next we have Warrior Sword. Most creative me. Um, it's <laughs> one cost tactics attachment, item, and weapon, and restricted. Attached to a tactics or warrior character. Limit one per character. Attached character gets plus one attack for each enemy engaged with you. Limit plus three attack. This is more like it. Yeah, I've been asked. I've been kind of wanting just a basic sword, something to attack with. Mm. We have a lot of elven weapons. We have that Gondor sword. We got daggers. We got spears. But just a weapon. Blade. Yeah, just a blade. This is it? Give me a blade. And you can attach it to a tactics or warrior. That covers a lot, which is nice. And it's at least one attack, mm -hmm. unless you have a ranged attacking somebody else. But yeah, it's pretty much always going to be one, and it can get up to three, which is huge. This same cap is a legacy blade, which we, we're all about. So who, who are you thinking to put this on? Uh, I've seen this do some really good work on Grimbjorn the Old. He starts getting very dirty with one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's sort of attacking for six then with the minus two. Mm, wow. Right? Uh, yeah, that's three. right. Three plus one plus the minus two. Yeah, it's six. Cool. Who else? I, I don't think I've actually seen it played on anybody else. I did think of it going on the Fornos Bowman, which just makes him ridiculous. Because he already gets plus one for each enemy engaged with you and then give him a sword. Put, put right. the, knock the sword in his bow and make him fire <laughs> plus three across the table. He'd be hitting for like nine. You don't really need to do that. It's silly to do that. Uh, maybe yeah, I had, my friend was doing that tonight, actually. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. What, with the bowman? Yep. Oh, there we go. What was he hitting for? Uh, it was four enemies engaged, so that'd be five, eight. Five. Yeah. yeah, whoa. You kill a few dragons with that guy. Killing trolls, for sure. Whoa, yeah. That's a nice case. <laughs> I like it. Um, who else could... Boromir? I, I don't know. Anybody, anybody really. Any mm. good offensive it's, warrior. It's one of those also, ones that works on a lot of people, isn't it, really? It's kind of... Restricted in the Dale deck because you can't put it on as many characters, but mm. it's really good on the Warrior of Dale because it costs one, and you can put it onto the Warrior Dale for free because you get that cost reduction. I think it's quite hard to run it in the Dale deck actually because the only hero it can go on is Bard because he'll be tactics when you play it, but you, right. you can't really put it on anybody else in that deck other than the Warrior of Dale, and he's not somebody I run three copies of. The Redwater um, Sentry is actually a warrior as well, but, yeah, but it's not no. the right spot for it. Not really, no. I mean, you, you could play it to draw a card. What's the Sentry's attack? Is it two? I think it's one. 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 So it'd be attacking for two. Mm, it's not really what you want to do with that guy anyway. You want him to defend him for four. The bow free so, and attaching to anybody is... Yes, I, I, think, I think that's probably better for a Dale deck, but I, I still think this is a good card. Now that we've thought about it, I, I am struggling to see targets for it what about um like popping it in sort of do it do it index where um you want to be engaged with lots of people and you might even keep them around that's you know there's some there's some opportunities there to to power it up quite successfully and sort of use it to kill the ones that you don't want to be engaged with anymore and also um you know you can combine it with like the uh the uh, trap for where you the trap for this sphere as well tactics trap where oh, the one from uh, the last uh, review mm. yeah that's right yes mm -hmm. and it sort of works quite nicely with that as well 
You can actually put this on the Vigilant Dunedain as well. He doesn't exhaust a defense, so he always gets an attack at the end of his <laughs> defensive stint. Mm, and, and he's already he three. Very well. He has already three, and he'll probably be engaged with a couple enemies, so he could easily attack back for five. That'd be pretty good. You probably don't want to put this in a deck where you're, um, you're planning to defend stuff, but across the table, so like a Baragon deck. I think people could easily put it into that sort of deck and go, oh, actually, this isn't working in the way I thought right. it would. Because sometimes those decks want to let other people engage stuff and just defend it for them. Same thing for Sylvans. Probably not too great for them with all the ranged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they won't need it. But still, it's nice to have just a generic sword. Yeah, I agree. I like the card. Is it what shampoo he uses? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's worth it, right? <laughs> he's a very interesting looking guy. Like, <laughs> Isn't it Bonamere? Like... Yeah. <laughs> Got the horn. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dynamic yeah. pose, that's for sure. It's the 80s hair metal band version of Boromir. <laughs> I was honestly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the, yeah, like Gene Simmons or something. <laughs> Kiss. But, yeah. Let the makeup. <laughs> He's looking pretty swift and strong. Yes, he is. Is that my cue to uh, move on to that card? <laughs> okay. Yeah, let me just open it. So, um, anything else on the sword? Good no, card. Solid weapon. Yeah. yeah. Super solid. Okay, well, the next card is Swift and Strong. It is a tactics event. Costs one. It's a song, which is unusual. And response after a character you control attacks and destroys an enemy, exhaust a weapon attached to that character to ready that character and give it plus two attack for its next attack this phase. So a mini combo within the pack, which is good. Mm hmm. Because sometimes um, you might buy a pack and find you can't use any of the cards in it, like can happen when you get the Legacy Blade. Actually, as it turns out, you don't own any side quests. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. Um, there's no side quests in that pack. So welcome to my life. Anyway, I was a bit down on this card when it came out. I just think it's a bit too conditional, really, because you need the weapon. You need two enemies. So there's a lot of things that need to be in place before it does anything. So I was, I was a bit muted on it. Um, Chad tried to change my mind. I'm not sure he succeeded, but uh, I can see it could do some work in some situations. I would be more willing to run it in multiplayer myself. What do you think of it? With a range, with a range character, I was thinking Legolas would be pretty nice with this. Mm -hmm. Draw a couple of cards, kill yeah. a couple of enemies. You always want to give Legolas weapons. I mean, it is readying mm -hmm. in tactics, which is uh, rare and good. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet, but it looks like... I mean, I, any deck with weapons, it seems like a couple of these in there wouldn't hurt. Mm -hmm. I like that it's a character, not a hero. Sometimes these, these types of cards feel a little bit win more for me, sometimes. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, like, you know, you've got um, this, like, a couple of cards for dwarves and a couple of cards for ents. I don't often make the cut when I'm making the decks because they're just like a big boost of, of damage. Uh, like Kazard, Kazard. Uh, I can't remember the name of the Ent one, but there's one uh, for Ents as well. Is it Boomed and Trumpeted? Is it that one? That's it, yeah, Boomed and Trumpeted. And there's a few other sort of ones for other decks. And and sometimes when the deck starts getting really strong, because it's got a lot of cards to pick from, and it starts getting really tight to get it down to its deck limit, those are the cards that I start to begin to lose, because, yeah, they're super fun, and they're nice when they go off, but they're a bit situational, and often they're not sort of like needed in the really strong decks, because you're already smashing everything up so or, or have lost so it's kind of like 
<laughs> the situations where it does help are um, are a bit too situational for me. And I kind of, want, I'm getting a little bit of a feeling like this might be one of those cards for me. Like it's nice when you first make the deck and it's in there and you might get a few plays out of it. But when the deck starts getting tight, it starts to lose its uh, appeal and it's one of the first ones to be cut. You'll sub it for a faint probably. You just can't help <laughs> <Yeah>. it. Because <laughs> faint's so good. Hmm. I was just looking back at Grimbu on the old again, just to make sure he doesn't have a limit on his ability, and he doesn't. So if you defended with him and killed something, uh, you could ready him off of this if he's got the warrior sword as well. You gain a lot of pieces there, um, but you could then defend with him again. That might be useful. And then he also gets another attack with plus two. Right. Yeah, so it's a big attack, that's that second one. It doesn't have to be engaged with you either. It's just any, any attack anywhere around the table, which is good. Tactics has a lot of fun events, and they don't yeah, they do. always make the cut, but they're really fun when you play them, so I'll try this. Yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to try it. I think I'm on the same line of thinking as Liam, though. Like, I think there'll be times where you're holding on to it, waiting for it to do something. Yeah. Is the fact that it's a song make it any more interesting? Maybe. It's not a very I, good answer. I have a feeling they're still <laughs> uh, going to release some song cards. They're going to really tie things together for that style of deck. Because... Maybe some instruments or something. That'd be interesting. Have you played uh, the song deck much? I don't know if there is a song deck. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the only song deck I really have played is a one centered on Love of Tales that generates resources. And then there's one weird song deck. I guess there's two kinds. Uh, Aerostore Hobbit uh, Fireside song deck that launches... Hobbit willpower into the stratosphere. That's pretty fun. But this is an event, so it doesn't really tie into either of those deck styles. And then there's the burst into song, which I saw somebody play. We played it at Mount Doom, and it was kind of cool. And it did something, but no, it was you, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it actually, um, yeah, it made me win a game at Mount Doom, funnily enough, uh, when I was trying to build some decks for the thematic saga, but I never got back to it because um, that was an initial test. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'd be running this card, though, there, because I'm trying not to attack things, so it won't work. Um, it doesn't... Yeah, actually, that readies all the characters with a song attachment, so again, this, it feels like a Love of Tales trigger. Mm-hmm. A Love of Tales is all about lore, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just be patient and wait for the song deck to actually take off. <laughs> but I'll try this I mean, next time I play a Tactics Killer Hero, probably. Exhaust a weapon as well can sometimes be a bit dodgy. It's not always as easy as it sounds because um, I often find it quite tricky to trigger foe hammer sometimes. Like, uh, but um, it's just something to bear in mind. Some weapons need to exhaust for their effect too. Mm-hmm. Goothwine and the bow, yeah, all that stuff. Uh, bow of you, I mean there. So not much of a combo with those two. Well, I suppose you could just. Mm, yeah, I was going to say you could withhold the bow and use it on the second attack, but no, you need to exhaust it for its effect, so it's not going to work. Right. Moving, moving swiftly on. <laughs> to the dad bod. Yeah. <laughs> Whose card is this? Oh, it's you. Think it's Liam. Okay. Yeah. This is a descendant of Kyrion. What a legend this guy is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is uh, someone else. Yeah, this guy has definitely spent most of his time you know, in the in the confines of the walls, I can imagine. So uh, this is a ally, and he is a spirit ally. 
Uh, he's coming in at four cost, two willpower, two attack, two defense, two hit points. I feel like he should probably have a few more hit points, but uh, that's a really, that's, that's a nice rounded set of stats from this fella. And uh, he is a Dale ally and reduced the cost to play item attachments on Descendant of Gyrion by one. Fits nicely in with the Dale theme as well. Mm. Um, so four cost is a bit strong, but Dale doesn't have to worry about the cost of his allies as much as other factions, which is cool. Um, so I don't think I'd necessarily want to pay full cost for this guy, but um, reduce the cost of uh, to play an item attachment on him by one is also nice. So you're probably reducing his cost, reducing the cost to play the attachment, getting all the lovely benefits that come with playing attachments in Dale. And he's spirit as well, which is, I guess, that's all right as well. Yeah, I, I don't see much wrong with this guy, really. Um, he's a bit of an all-rounder, so I guess what attachment you play on him will probably decide what he's going to be doing for you, potentially. But I could see myself questing with him if I got him in cheap, probably. What about yeah, you guys? He'd be going in for three in Dale because mm. of brand. Um, I, I feel like Joseph should... Uh wax lyrical on this guy because he's actually used him oh really yeah i threw one copy into my dl deck i've been running and compared to all the other allies he isn't as strong i mean Mm. yeah he's gonna he can do everything a little bit the rest of the allies are pretty specialized either quest for four attack for defend for four but this guy will do one of those things (laughs) not as well Mm. i was running dl deck without steward so just using the reductions and three copies of traffic from Dale. And I feel like he earns his keep just getting pretty much a free attachment every turn. Um, you can put an attachment on him, draw a card, move it around with your trader to the right guy, long leg trader. I like him. Mm. He looks funny too, which is yeah. awesome. <laughs> He's got a fan- fantastic mustache, like proper sort of like old school, sort of like real. <laughs> funny is one is it, word is for... Um that that style uh i can't work out if he's wearing a hat or if that is his hair that's a hat <laughs> <laughs> it looks more like a big tongue it's just dropped on the side of his head <laughs> yeah. uh, you should listen to the latest cardboard of the rings episode caleb grace was on and he talked about this guy um one of the other designers was playtesting and he really liked this guy he was without any art where they play test, he was putting all sorts of attachments and using them for a combat ally and everything. <laughs> and just thought of him as this big heroic guy. Then the art came back and he's like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this man with a ball bag on the side of his head? <laughs> <laughs> and how, how do you grow your... They looked at the art brief they wrote up for it and everything matched. They just thought of it a little bit differently but <laughs> did it was it described as a man with the world's lowest curly brown fringe little fingers little fingers uh I don't know. from game of thrones uh a curtain a bum, dressed a over his bag. shoulders a bum bag yeah a fanny pack is granny in the background. <laughs> and, and it's and it's really cold so everyone's wearing mittens and then uh and a truncheon yeah. on this belt buckle and a ghost <laughs> And a man in the far background who appears to be wearing shades as well. Okay. Because <laughs> if it did, they absolutely nailed it. They knocked it out of the park. If that's all they were going for. 
Falcon the, um, that is funny. <laughs> I like this. Uh, I actually is. really like it. He's also got Flavor Flav's bling under that little <laughs> little <laughs> thing he's wearing there. The, the, what's that called? <laughs> cape. His cape. The, the cape. Cloak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish he had the noble trait. That's the biggest thing. Um, I know why. Because <laughs> I want to put my ancestral <laughs> armor on. <laughs> you want to put that armor on everybody. <laughs> I just want to get it for cheaper. He's too chubby uh, for it. It wouldn't fit, yeah. Anyway, I like this guy. He's not amazing, but I think it just fit, ties in. It feels f- fun playing stuff for free, moving around. I think that's what Dale's mm. all about. Mm. Um, and he just, I got just him another... on my first turn in my Dale deck with you, Ryan. I got King of Dale and a bow and him and attachment on him all in turn one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't that's think you want three of him, do you? You just want that one. In case you get that situation where you do get something happen like that, if you had three of them, he'd be clogging up your hand, wouldn't he? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, you, I think you almost, one or two is fine. We're so yeah, used to Dale being the opposite, like paying two for six stats right. on, <laughs> on every value. Kind of. Now it feels the weird way, to have to pay normal things again. Hmm. The way Joe uh, was describing it is sort of like almost carrying like another cog in that Dale engine. You sort of get him mm-hmm. out quite cheap you get a reduction now on your attachments that triggers all the beautiful stuff that you get for the attachments and then yeah move the attachments around to the correct people or just store them on him until you can get get the correct ally out like it just feels like it's all sort of like a well-oiled machine i do find when i do play dale sometimes that comes out a bit wonky and it takes a little while to make that well-oiled machine and you're a bit sort of like fighting small fires within your sort of like own camp trying to get the attachments on the right people and things like that but like not in a way that is making the deck particularly weak, but when it does all work really nice, um, you know, it, it just feels really great. It feels like sort of like a mini game almost. I think it's particularly good for the Dale deck that's really centered on the Guardian of Eskaroth because you're playing, putting so many attachments on him, but if you do that, you aren't getting the card draw effect. Mm. So if you use this guy, you get the card draw, you can just move it over to him. And sometimes you'll want to switch the attachments around on them depending on what type of defenses you need to do or whether you want one that's a bit more attacky and then one that's a bit more defendy. Like I did find myself wanting to move the attachments around on the guardians as well sometimes to sort of, um, you know, play what's in front of you. Another strike against him is he doesn't have any traits besides Dale. So if there's a bunch of good Dale or um, attachments that are limited to Dale or Dale and somebody else or some other trait. But like there's some attachments that you can run in a Dale deck need to be a warrior or a noble or a scout or something that you can't get that reduction on. Yeah, hey, that's true. But yeah, I'll run one. Good enough. How many of the um, ally that moves attachments do you run? So I was running one, but after playing a couple of games of it, I really wanted to go up to two. I felt like it was really important. I'll do three. Really? I'll give that a go. I like having it early. If I'm doing the spare hood and cloak, having two is certainly not too much. And then if I have three, I can discard one to some nasty quest effect or something and not feel too bad. It's not a high-powered ally. It's not an essential stat ally. But yeah, I want to see him fairly earlier, I think. Mm, I'm nodding my head when you said about discarding him to a quest effect because that's often what I find myself doing with him. Once he's done his job, he can, he's a right. bit like Master of the Forge. You want to see him early so you can get your pieces nicely organized. And then once he's done that, off he goes. 
to eat the fallen companion or whatever it is, you know, all of that stuff. Right. Injured companion. Or what's it, Dark Earth or some other? In the, the new cycle. cycle. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big black spider on it. Yeah. I can't remember what it is, but again, it's another discard and ally one. So if you've yeah. got a couple of those out. And I think uh, I agree it depends on the deck, because if you are doing a spare hood and cloak thing, you want to get that back to uh, some ally who can exhaust. But I think when right. I made a Guardian of Esgroth deck for the most recent quest, or this one, sorry, Ghost of Framsburg, um, I only ran two, because hmm. there, there, weren't, there wasn't as much need to uh, shift things around as much. No, it's combat-oriented. Yeah, I wasn't running this guy. Speaking of Guardian of Esgroth, mm. our next attachment isn't a bad idea for him. Valiant Determination. Two cost spirit attachment. Condition. Attached to an ally. Attached ally does not exhaust a quest. This is the best attachment for that guy, isn't it? Oh yeah. Simple and effective. Kind of expensive, but yeah, doubles the value you get out of him, doesn't it? I think that's... Um, so, yeah, let's be clear. The best target for this is the Guardian of Esgaroth without question because he's just so bonkers uh, <laughs> that you are going to get some value out of his six willpower and then his six defense probably if it, or actually more than that depending on which attachments you're playing so i said earlier that i was questing for 27 without exhausting while playing this quest and that's because what i was trying to do was get guardian of Esgaroth to have this alongside uh, ancestral armor and the oh, wild awesome. stallion yes yeah and so the deck was set up to do that. <laughs> so once you get wow. three of those alongside, um, they're questing for six together, uh, each without exhausting. So that's mm -hmm. 18 more power. And then you've got the three North Realm lookouts who don't exhaust for a further nine. So that's the m least effort quest phase you'll ever experience because you just look at it and go, 27 every single turn. You don't need to touch anything. Actually makes it boring, <laughs> to be honest. Kind of boring. It's like, ah, okay, I'm not really doing much here. Just turning them sideways to kill things. <laughs> but yeah, you get you get sick value out of this with him. Mm. So that's the only Dell deck that I've currently played is um, is one that has the same idea. You basically um, right uh, valiant determination um, so that you can get maximum value. You can quest for a ton, and then they can come in and defend for a ton, mm -hmm. or they can attack for a ton, and you just basically they're they're one. I wouldn't even, I hesitate to call it a weakness because it's kind of ridiculous to say this, but they're one weakness of having great stats across the board is <laughs> that so you can normally only use one of those stats per turn. Yes. But yeah. this, this changes it. This changes it a lot. And um, yeah, it's a fantastically fun deck. And um, yeah, having those three guys tooled up to the teeth with these is just, it's not even that hard to do. Like, I was no, thinking not. when I was sort of flicking through the cards before I started playing, I was like, oh, you know, it'll be really cool if it ever happens. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be really excited when it does happen, but it might be quite hard to pull off. But actually, honestly, most games you've got at least two of them perfect. And the third one kind of like a bit wonky, but you can sort it out <laughs> later on. <Yeah>. And, <laughs> but, like, you know, he's still good enough, right? Um, but it's really not even that hard to do. Um, in terms of the amount of card draw that's there and um, the fact that you can move attachments around, you don't even need to have them in play um, and you can still play the attachments and then move them around. Um, mm. Yeah, it's crazy good on those guys. I do feel like it's a slightly different way to play Dale in terms of uh, like, like it is like specifically built to do that thing. 
Well, we talked on the last episode about being wide versus narrow with Mm. Dale. Like Joseph's deck, he was talking about just now, is very wide. It's one attachment per dude. And you're not even playing the Guardian of Escort, are you? Or you you are? Oh, okay. Okay, you are. It just didn't get set up very well, that game. But yeah, I have... I think it's kind of a hybrid. It's not the one, 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 one. Mm. One attachment, one ally, one attachment, one ally. But it's a bunch of those. And then Guardians powered up to uh, just medium bonkers. The downside I've found with trying to go full bonkers with the Guardians is if you get all of the bits and pieces before you actually get the allies, um, it doesn't go very well. (laughs) Yeah. Because you've got really squishy heroes. They can't defend very well. They can take a few nibbles, uh, as your kids would say about Clash Royale. Um, But Mm -hmm. they, they certainly won't be going the long game. And so there were a couple of times where had all these valiant determinations and nobody had put them on because with did, fewer allies you have to you know you have to make sure you try and find them so I, I never addressed that but you could run things like heed the dream and stuff to dig for the guardian mm, yeah i did you did you not find that um there's the other uh the other dale ally the leadership one that's really good at defending with just no, one attachment i'm not running him in that deck that's the thing no you're not uh, so i've got I've got those, and then what I'll often do is I'll end up attacking with the vigilant, uh, attacking with the vigilant uh, ones, and then like defending with them. Or if it's a multiplayer game, it's nice to have the sentinel there, yeah, um, to defend across the table with them. It does make it quite a defensive deck, though. So, so you know, struggle, like you know, more, well, more defensive than attacking. <laughs> While you quest with 18 27 yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a defensive quest deck that can put, pack a punch when it needs to so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i Not get what sure. you're saying though mm. so that's um, the best so case yeah. i think when this was spoiled a lot of people were a bit um lukewarm on it whereas i i personally think this has given you value anytime you've got an ally with two willpower and two attack because normally well, you're, you're breaking even maybe. But normally, though, if you play an ally and you pay two for it, you are looking for two on some stat. Mm-hmm. You don't normally want to pay two to quest for one. You normally want to pay two to quest for two or attack for two, like the uh, that tactics Rohan dude. Everybody loved him when he came out because he was two for two attack and two health. And so right. if you've got some big ally like Firial or Yazan or something, you're getting more value out of their stats if you can get this on them. Mm-hmm. It's like getting a clone of them, isn't it? Yeah. That said, you could just play another two-cost ally who's got two stats. Right. So it really depends there on is. what's available to you. Or what quest you're playing, because a ally that's questing and not exhausting isn't powering up those location, ex- <laughs> locations, yes. right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's true. So all the um, hills of Wilderland and... Oh, goodness me, the one in Poros that I saw again earlier and forgot that existed. Uh, <laughs> forgotten what it's called now. <laughs> forgotten what it's called, but yeah, it got me. I got two Hills of Wilderland actually as well today. The same game. Liam knows all those cards by heart. Yeah, he does. Oh, Burned into his retina. <laughs> yeah, close my, close my eyes at night trying to relax and just like, X value. <laughs> Poros. <laughs> no. <laughs> why both on the last turn <laughs> I have a friend who's putting these on northern trackers because mm-hmm. they decent, have super yeah. solid they have solid uh, attack 
stats, yeah. defense stats, but you really wanted a quest too. Yeah, you never get much value out of them, do you? That's that's why they're balanced, sort of, isn't it? Because they only quest for one willpower, and you lose right. six stats, or I think they've got three health, actually. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you, you lose all that value. That's a good use for it. I hadn't thought of that. It, it, cause, so another example scenario where you use this is if there's an ability you want to use while also getting value out of the combat stats. Um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but that something like that Mirkwood Explorer where he quests and then you have an ability on it that you can trigger. I don't think I would put this on him because um, his, his stats aren't great. Uh, I think he quests for two. Mm-hmm. So at least it would keep that available because normally you have to hold him out of the quest right. so, so you can uh, use his ability, whereas now you could at least get the value out of the two willpower and trigger the effect, I suppose. I thought about this on Gildor as well, just because he's... Mm. It's, Quest for three, defend for three, attack for two. Uses ability, he can do anything. Again, another beefy ally. Good on the yeah. big boys. Yep. Not so good on the one-drop eagles, mm. <laughs> mainly because they can't have attachments, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, I, I, is it I, just restricted attachments they can't have? So this could go on so. an Ent, for example. There you go. Is that mm. right? I'm just going to look that up. Put it on your Rav Hall Preserver so he doesn't heal people. <laughs> Troll. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say we have kind of gushed over it, but I do feel like it's a card that you specifically put into a specific deck for a specific reason, and it's, that's what uh, like is quite an important part of that deck. I don't feel like this is one of those cards that you gush gush over because it's a great card that can fit into a lot of decks. I don't mm-hmm. think it's one of those ones. No, but when you get the experience of questing for 27 without exhausting, <laughs> you change perspective on this card, believe me. It's hard not it's hard. to crush. It, yeah, it really is. Should we move on? Last I, card. I just want to, I just oh, want to say with the, uh, with the artwork uh, before we move on to the next <laughs> card, I, this is the first time I've realized, I said that I hadn't bought the pack earlier, but now I realize I have bought the pack because this is in my Dale deck. So uh, <laughs> I just hadn't used the other cards. But um, this... Uh, I, this is the first time from looking at the artwork I've realized that it's a guy climbing up a cliff. I thought it was just like a is really it, weird scenery. Yeah, isn't that like a top yeah. like he's holding on to a cliff? Yeah, no, I thought he was hanging off the cliff. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Rather than climbing up, probably. Like but when I Aragorn thought, fell off the cliff in the movies? Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell what he's... Whether, yeah, it doesn't like it's going very well for him, does it? Because he's no. not really hanging. That, that's... The cliffs yeah, he, of insanity. Yeah. Look at look at the strength on his fingertips, though. That's <laughs> nuts. Like that guy is literally like you know just touching the cliff of his fingertips, and he's holding onto him. What a legend! But um, I thought I thought it was a guy kneeling down, like in a almost kind of like a Stone Cold Steve Austin spear position, about to charge someone with a really weirdly painted background. But right. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense <laughs> to me now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um yeah should we have a look at the uh, next card so this is ring of thror it is a one cost neutral attachment it's unique uh, it's an artifact and a ring guarded enemy or location attached to a dwarf hero action exhaust ring of thror and discard the top card of your deck to ready attached hero if the discarded card is an attachment put it into play so I reckon this is probably the best guarded card so far. I'm sure Joseph will tell me I'm wrong, but readying and getting something for free in the same ability 
is bonkers. Especially with some of these big attachments we've been getting. Oh, yeah. Uh, a free ancestral armor, anybody? Oh, yes, please. Anything that costs two, I'd happily get in for free with this. Two or more. Unexpected courage for free. <laughs> Actually, valiant determination can't go on it. It's got to go on an ally, so scratch that one. You know what? It doesn't say put it on that hero. It's put it into play. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, okay. Anywhere. Well, well, well bring that idea back. Free valiant determination. There you go. On an ally across the table or anybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. On a, not even on a character. It could be on a location. <laughs> As Elrond has demonstrated over the years, putting stuff into play is seriously OP. This is Ooh, kind of like Vilya so, Light, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a very good card. However, it's not in my current Dane Ironfoot deck. Uh-huh. Be, I think it, it, it could a, be. It's um, a pretty good card for either of the Danes, really, because you yes. want the OG Dane to be ready as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And often it's a little bit awkward when he uh, when you have to exhaust him to quests, and then you have to like cram him back up so that you can actually deal with the enemies. <laughs> um, but um, this uh, this kind of solves that problem a little bit. Um, it's interesting because like when I was when you guys were just reading it to me then my first impression was that it's um strong for that first part but that second part seems like oh that's a bit ropey like how do you know unless you're you know playing gandalf or something and like you know or have a lot of attachments i guess like it's a bit sort of i guess i guess we were we were lamenting earlier that there wasn't a lot of um good cards that when you discard them whilst mining that will give you like a great benefit but this kind of solves that because it makes any attachment that you discard whilst mining have a brilliant benefit that benefit being put it into play mm-hmm. yeah but it dwarf decks are like swarm decks but i think there is a um attachment deck to be made you have that well-equipped card too you can get free attachments mm-hmm. and then you put this in a deck with that and you could make a stuff deck some of those old dwarf decks as well. boots in there. <laughs> they, they run some good attachments. Sorry. The old dwarf decks do run some good attachments as well, like Steward and these kind of things, Hardy Leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they and could get a trigger. The King and What's the Mountain. King and the Mountain, yeah. And also the, uh, the ring as well um, that allows you to pay for any color. Is mm-hmm. it a ring? Belt of... Oh, yeah. Narvi's Narvi's Port, yeah. There are actually more attachments. Think when I'm thinking about my dwarf deck, there are more attachments in there than uh, than I were than I was thinking. You can actually use but, this to put more guarded attachments into play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they will be guarded as well, right? <laughs> yeah. So, do you really think this is the best guarded one? Well, I just that, I think it's got the highest ceiling in terms of um, the value you can get out of it. Like you're getting a ready, presumably on a defender. Which is which mm. is strong, uh, and you could be getting a four cost card for free in the moment you need it. If you're getting ancestral armor on your defender, um, it's a like win win. Luck though. Well, you, you will if you don't know what's coming. But if you've got Gandalf, yeah. then you're fine. It's, it's mm. fine in that deck. Uh, but even then, the card still has to be there at the time that makes sense for it to be there, right? Yeah, Although I mean, Gandalf, look at Gandalf, you can fix that. Look at that as gravy. I mean, it's one cost for a ready, which is already better than unexpected courage. Because mm-hmm. that's two, and it's neutral. Uh, and if you get, if you use it three times in a game, and you get one big attachment, well, that's some big value. Yeah, you could argue. 
um, the the downside is, of course, is guarded, and it's dwarf, so it's very win more <laughs> in solo. Anyway, mm. just uh, my experience. It's not in my dwarf deck because as you start to get into, oh, sorry, my Dane deck, as you start to get into the tougher quests, this card is not going to help you um, at the beginning. Yeah. No, and so that's why it's not in that deck at the moment. And the quests I'm already steamrolling, I don't need this to do it. So that's sort of the trade-off here. It's like, do I actually need this card? I'm not sure I'm going to be putting it in that deck. I think I'd rather have the Magic Ring, to be honest, just because of the healing potential. That There's no healing in Spirit. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd be much more excited about this in four-player, where I can happily um, put out the enemy or location and somebody else can clean up my mess. <laughs> as happens in our games joseph <laughs> that's what i do yeah well, i find those attachments don't bother me in two player at all it's all, mm-hmm. all good as long as it doesn't come out turn one maybe right you gotta be careful but yeah but, uh, but there's been no problems really because like you just can't take advantage of the crazy good ability on it very much mm. it's nice that it's enemy or location as well because it could go on something soft Banks of the Anduin. Which always hope <laughs> location, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless, of course, you're playing Lost in Mirkwood. Ah! <laughs> and we had nine locations sitting out in the staging area pretty much the whole game, the whole latter half of the game in this Mount Kundabad we played tonight. Wow. Yeah. And would that many roads or familiar lands, whatever it's called, have helped you? No. No? Okay. There we go. <laughs> Nobody was playing that kind of deck. Uh, okay. I think you could say, did famili- would familiar lands have helped you? And like literally 99.99% of the time, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> you could have uh, waved it in front of your face to cool down. Maybe. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they'll ever release a card that will allow you to um, start with a um, guarded attachment in your hand? Uh, I feel like they would have done it with Bilbo, if anything, and they didn't. Mm. I mean, it has to be a hero, right? Unless it's a contract card. Could be an event, maybe, as well, like uh, the Sea and Stone or something for Doomed. Or that one that has never been played yeah. for Valor. Hope Rekindle? Re- <laughs> oh, called? yeah. That, that one. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You can go yeah. completely left field and have it as a... Um, side quest like <laughs> you get to put a guarded attachment without being guarded that'd be cool that'd be cool i suppose you could do that with gather information i suppose if you really want to find your guarded attachment mm. if you get it that way you won't get it for mm. free yeah trave uh trave what word is trave treasure hunter <laughs> yeah treasure hunter the one where you if you quest successfully you guess the top card no, just an imaginary. Oh, just side quest. One, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Treasure hunting. Everybody searches their right, deck for a guarded card, and they all play them the same turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without it being guarded. <laughs> oh no, they have to be guarded. <laughs> they have to be guarded as well. Oh, harsh. <laughs> just like it'd be like a twenty progress side quest if they weren't guarded. Dump this yeah. treasure chest in the middle of the staging area, and all these enemies swarm into it. That's a good situation for your beekeeper. There you yeah. go. All right. Well, we made it through the whole pack. Mm. I think it's a good pack. 
And I think there's yeah. some strong cards in this pack. I don't think I like it as much as other packs. But there are a couple of cards that I really like. Warrior Sword, I really like. And I'm looking forward to giving Dane a go as well. Mm. Um, and having played uh, Vigilant Determination, uh, Valiant Determination, um, that is an incredible card in the right deck. Yeah, I feel bad because I haven't played all of these yet. So I really like the ones I have played. Mirkwood Hunter, Descendant of Gurion, Valiant Determination, but the rest of them I haven't really explored enough yet. I got work to and do. It's, it's obviously got Ryan's uh, top card of the entire game as well in there, Ring of Thor. Um, Thor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'd go that far. <laughs> you think I was really hot on it, do you? No, but you said it was your favorite guarded card, and uh, that did surprise me. Ah. Oh. I'm trying to remember what the others are now. I'll I'll check back for the next cast. Yeah, you have to get you have to do um, uh, <laughs> shag marry kill on guarded cards. <laughs> what was it? Snog marry or snog marry avoid? I don't I was, want to kill them. I was, I was trying to think. I was, I was trying to think of the PG version. Actually, I say that again. <laughs> I'm, I'm snogging the ring of Thor. Don't worry about that. I, I just remember being yeah. excited about it when it was spoiled as well. I was like, "Whoa! It's a mining card. It's so good." There's two yeah. upsides to the same effect. Yeah. And only costs one as well. Yeah, it's good. Okay, Snog, Marry, or Void. All the guarded cards. That's uh, a theme for one of the future episodes, okay? <laughs> I do that in the last pack here. Okay. <laughs> um, I definitely married Dane, for the record. Oh, really? Yeah, because you know they say about like guys who take their shirt off or whatever, you know? Dane's got his top on, so he's not one of those guys. Whereas Grimby on the old took his shirt off, Haldan took his shirt off. Mm. Yeah, don't and worry he about was, it. He'd also defend you nicely as well, you know, if you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm in trouble getting swarmed by orcs. He's going to knock their teeth out. Yeah. Head or, off or your, yeah. your order's wrong in um, McDonald's or something. He'll defend you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find out Descendant of Gyrion if that happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's, he stood behind you, just like impatiently tapping his foot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reaching into his bum bag, where he's got his little pistol. <laughs> well, he's got loads of vouchers. I reckon this guy's got tons of vouchers. <laughs> <laughs> you, get the, you get all the discounts of him, right? <laughs> he's got all of his bus tickets with his free hamburgers on. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Future episode topic. What's in the pouch? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, we probably should end this review here and then we'll come back in a minute with uh, Monosphere decks. Cue the music. So this is a deck building topic. Let's look at monosphere decks. So these got played probably quite a bit in the early days of the game. The course set comes with three or four fairly lousy monosphere decks. But I'd like to look at the question, um, why would you do it? Is it helpful? Is it useful? And then what does each sphere offer when you play it as a monosphere deck? And are they good? Hmm. That's a lot of questions. 
Ooh. We'll try to they're be all, brief. Oh, they're all, well, they're all good ones. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> so why would you want to play Monosphere? I play mostly Trisphere or too. maybe Quadsphere. Um, some <laughs> Two-Sphere, but hardly ever Monosphere. But I've played some decks that have some uh, real advantages for being, being Monosphere. So I came up with a little list here why I would want to do it. Number one is simplicity. That's probably why they recommended you start there. You still have to worry about sphere matching if you're playing all the same sphere. Kind of variety. I play mostly trisphere or dual sphere, so playing monosphere is just different. It's fun. Um, consistency. If you have all the same sphere, you're going to be able to play anything that comes into your hand. You're going to be able to do what you want to do with your cards. And also frees you up to play some of the higher-costed cards. There's some tactics events that cost three or leadership events that cost five that are really powerful, but if you're playing only one hero of that sphere, you're never going to get it into play. And the last thing I had here is quest effects. There's some quests that punish you, and this is mostly in Against the Shadow Cycle. There's the infamous Master's Malice um, treachery that massacres everybody <laughs> that isn't in the one sphere you choose. And then some other quests that capture your heroes. That if you're playing a tri-sphere deck with, or a dual-sphere deck, and your off-sphere hero gets captured or taken away for any reason, all those cards are dead. So having a simpler one-sphere deck would be advantage in those as well. You guys think of any other reasons or advantages to playing? Well, thank you. I think you covered uh, a lot of the really good reasons to play Monosphere, and I'd, I'd like to just expand on on the simplicity side a little bit. Um, so, yeah, the starter I remember playing with uh, when I first bought the first starter. I went on a holiday with two friends just for like a long weekend away, and we went to some beachside um, cottage in the UK. And unsurprisingly, it completely rained the entire weekend, so we spent most of it inside drinking and playing lord of the rings um, and so it gives you the suggested starter decks which are yeah pretty terrible um but um the simplicity of having just one sphere is really important and if i ever have someone that's not played the game before or just wants to sort of give it a go um i'll always give them a monosphere deck um maybe like a dual sphere deck if i think that they've got a lot of experience in in sort of playing these types of games because um it can be a bit tricky when you're first starting there's a lot of stuff going on a lot of boxes a lot of text to read and having to remember to pay the correct card of resources for the correct cards can um you know just be an added complication and you can give them a nice sort of like uh red deck where they can just go and fight everything or uh, a nice spirit deck where they can go and just quest really well um so i find the simplicity side of things quite nice um for the um yeah for the for the colors um and it took me a long time to build anything that wasn't monosphere because I didn't really realize, I didn't really sort of think about it too much. And I just was kind of going based off of what was done in the core set. Um, and when I started building monosphere decks, that's when the game really started getting a lot easier for me. <laughs> and monosphere um, or dual sphere? Um, when I stopped doing monosphere okay, okay, yeah. and started doing dual sphere. So when I first started playing uh, sort of by myself quite a bit, I would play two-handed and I would play both 
decks would be monosphere decks. So I'd probably play like a spirit deck and a um, and a uh, a tactics deck, and then have like one deck do the quest in, one deck do the fight in. Um, but when I started to like move away from that and do more sort of dual tri and quad sphere decks, that's when um, that's when the game started getting a lot easier. I think especially in the early days, those mono decks just don't really work very well at all. Um, there's been a lot of cards that have been released that have made monosphere decks a lot better. And for me, the two main decks that I play that are monosphere, even to this day, are Lore, uh, monosphere, which is um, Trap, and Tactics, monosphere, which uh, you know revolves around Hig, a very powerful deck as well. Um, that's about it. I did have a mono spirit Rohan deck, which was just a bit rubbish, but, um, <laughs> I did quite like it for a bit. <laughs> don't know why, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's about it. I've never played mono leadership, which is something I'd love to, um, but never really had sort of, never really sort of wanted to, but, um, but now we're talking about it. It makes me kind of want to try mono leadership. Yeah. I just explored mono leadership the last couple of months and I've, I was really happy with what it has to offer now, especially with this new Gildor hero that got released in the uh, collector's edition. Some card draw really goes a long way in leadership. Anything to add there, Brian? Uh, not really. You guys summed it up quite nicely. I was just looking through some of the old cards. Like, What are some of the reasons you would play mono leadership in terms of um, what cards it gives you? Not mono leadership, just mono decks. Like, What cards do you open up? Um, and I noticed one thing that was interesting. Some of them, from that against the shadow cycle, they are geared to the sphere, but in a restrictive way. So, for example, it's like trained for war. This says play only if each hero you control has a printed tactics resource icon. And this card, just because I'm talking about it, is until the end of the phase, if the current quest does not have siege, it gains battle. So it's quite a fun card. Whereas the thicket of spears just says you must pay for it from three heroes' resources pools. Mm-hmm. So one of them is you must play mono tactics. <laughs> and the other one is you need to have three heroes who have got a tactics icon, not necessarily a printed one. So in some sense, some of these are a bit restrictive because it forces you to play absolute mono. And so one of the best events you can get to in Monosphere is the leadership one, Strength of Arms. And this is ready each ally in play for two resources, which is just nuts when there's four <laughs> swarm decks. Uh, it is, yes, it can ready a lot of characters. But again, you must have printed um, leadership resource. So you can't do it with, say, two leadership guys and a spirit guy, which is a little bit um, sad, I guess, in a way. Because I think these some of these cards would see a lot more play if they weren't quite so, like, you must play Monosphere if you want to access this card. But I do think it's quite nice that they can only be played in Monosphere in some ways, because otherwise it kind of takes away even more of a reason to play Monosphere. Because there are some Monos... Like those... Like, for example, you said Thicket of Spears there. That that was actually reminded me of uh, playing Monosphere Tactics before um, Hergon, because you could use it with Hammer, mm-hmm. and, like cycle it and basically just lock everyone up. Constantly, mm-hmm. like engage everyone, keep them all locked down. Um, but yeah, like um, 
it's interesting because those cards that really power that are really sort of geared towards monosphere decks that give you sort of like crazy powerful abilities in the two that i mentioned there the here gone one the only two that i currently still play and the trap one which is mono law i don't have any of those cards in there i don't think i was trying to think and i, I don't think i use any of them which might be a bit silly i think with the trap deck i was thinking mono because mo- nearly everything you want to do is in with law anyway and it's also a little bit hard to um to pay for everything because law kind of struggles with that so it um it helps to have three heroes of the same color so that you can just sort of spam out all of the uh all of the um the traps and of course it, it includes the best hero in the game Merlon. so there's mm-hmm. that's quite nice as well that's very good sorry who's that i don't know who that is <laughs> what? i don't know who that is <laughs> you played no, Mirland on camera on a video. Uh, that wasn't me. That was somebody else. <laughs> wow, dirty. Did you notice her power? How strong she was. <laughs> if you want, you want me to be, you want me to complete. <laughs> I'll be completely honest. She did nothing all game except quest for two, which is, as I've maintained, is all she That's does. Not That's not Mirland. That's <laughs> Well, more power to you. She is, though. So she, she did. A, she gave you the opportunity card, to play right? a bunch of different secrecy cards. There you go. Is she? Mm, I can yeah. do that with Smeagol now, though. I don't need her anymore. You can't? Yeah. Um, I can proxy him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, getting back on topic uh, to this. Um, I was looking at the other ones, though. So I talked about the tactics one and the leadership one. The spirit um, event is pants. <laughs> Until the end of the phase, spirit characters use their willpower instead of defense. I've tried to use that so many times. Uh, it just doesn't work. Can't get it to work. Yeah, I don't know why. That would be I'd love to see that work. Yeah, It it's doesn't like, even work in, in a Kaldara deck, really, does it? I mean, that's the deck where you think you could get it to work. Mm, I mean, Aon can defend for four, but in which case exactly. she's not going to be questing for four. So, yeah, that's a bit weird. And the other one um, is advance warning until the end of the phase. Enemies do not make engagement checks, and that's the lore one. And the only time I've seen this used is when C-Stan broke the black gate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, I don't think this one's very good, but this could be good if you built around it because you could do like sniper decks, which would be fun. And we've done that before, just not with mono lore. Or be really fun. beekeeper decks. Mm, yes. Yes, <laughs> the beekeeper cycle deck. Uh, but um, the records are very good from this cycle. So these are the various uh, attachments that let you play an event from your discard pile. And they're, they cost four, but they're um, reduced by one for each hero you've got with the relevant icon. And they all do the same thing, which is nice and simple. Just mm-hmm. lets you play an event from your discard pile and then you put it on the bottom of your deck. So you might get it again later on as well. And these are really good. I really like playing Monosphere to get access to these because uh, repetitive sneak attack is very good, <laughs> to say the least. Um, you also had a deck that you played on a video once, um, which was repetitive reinforcements, which was also very good. It's like Gandalf every turn. Gandalf and, and Beor in every turn. <laughs> leadership can set up an infinite loop as well with those um, records with um, Second Breakfast. It's crazy. So leadership's an especially good place for that because leadership's got a lot of bomb events that are worth yeah. cycling. 
Uh, and then back in the days of OP Caldara, it was cycling Fortune of Fate or cycling any spirit event with Dwarven Tomb. Right. And that was nuts. You can't cycle Test of Will because it's a response, not an action. Mm-hmm. So kind of no, nerfs that one a little bit. But. You could cycle the Dwarven Tomb to get your Test of Will back. Right. Though. So you'd always have it available if you wanted it, which is strong. <laughs> yeah, I built a deck that was just maximum test of will. That's what I used to run. That's what I used to run in our four-player games when we played Dwaradelf, because there's so many horrible treacheries there, some of which cannot be cancelled. That's true. One of which cannot be cancelled, I'm thinking of in particular. <laughs> Your favorite. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Faux Beyond, that one. Damage. Yeah. So what do you think about each sphere then in terms of how good they are for monosphere? Uh, I'd probably put spirit pretty far up there. Well, they're all viable, which I think is quite a good place for a game to be in. Mm -hmm. There's a viable monosphere build for each sphere, which is good. But I'm not sure they're all viable in solo, though. Yeah, let me grab spirit and then you guys grab another sphere. Okay. Um, spirit you got I think there's some particular heroes that are really essential or really helpful in Monosphere Spirit I think has really good options because they have a four defense character in Baragond and now they have another defender in Dane and then they have plenty of willpower they have Kyrdin which is awesome right everybody knows I like Kyrdin he has that card draw and willpower and readying with Narya which can really improve your combat phase because spirit can be a little weak with combat, although they have Jubair and some other uh, Glorfindel and some other pretty good uh, attack or combat phase allies now. But they have a little card draw. They have a lot of questing. They have some good defense and plenty of cancellation and readying through Kyrdin and resource acceleration through um, Arwen. So I'd probably say Kyrdin, Arwen... Baragon would be a really strong mono spirit deck. I realize technically you could look at my Dane deck as mono spirit as well. If you can squint at Gandalf, right? Uh, <laughs> all the allies and every card in it is um, spirit except for the neutral stuff. So, sort of, it's technically not, but uh, I, I agree with what you're saying basically because it can handle combat, questing, defense with Dane Ironfoot in this case. Right. So it's got a good um, spread across all the things you need to do. You can cancel all the nasty stuff. And then it does have a disadvantage because it has like no way to manage damage, right? No healing or prevention at all, does it? Yeah, I, I put that comment in the, the notes there because that's the weakness I found with that deck is in archery-heavy quests. Uh, you are sometimes hanging by a thread, let's say, because they've got very good questers, but they're all one health, most of them. Even the Aether Swordsmen normally get support from the um, the herdsmen, the sheep farmers, right. but there's no there's no sheep farmers in that deck, so they're very squishy. And any blanket damage, you need to be really careful. Thankfully, though, Spirit's got Test of Will, so you're normally fine. Right. Uh, but you need, do need to be very careful. Um, I was trying to play three trials earlier and there's some treachery in that does one damage to all non-uniques and i yes i i died unfortunately (laughs) so yeah 
Yeah, the characters tend to not have many quest points or uh, hit points to start with, do they? Mm, and no way to cancel or heal because all the other three spheres have got something to do that. Did you talk about Kaldara? Yeah, that's the other uh, huge mono spirit deck, and that's the one, the only version of the mono spirit deck you'll find on the Wings DB Hall of Fame. It's not as amazing anymore just because she got nerfed, which was a good thing for the game. But still, Kaldara deck is certainly the most played mono spirit deck, I'm sure. And it's very strong. But I don't think we need to say a whole lot more about that style of deck, although it's much more balanced now with her errata. Yeah, I miss that deck. That deck was really fun. I <laughs> used that to get through a couple saga quests we had trouble with. There's a great rage in uh, rage quest deck. And I was talking <laughs> about you. I was talking about this, sorry, to you yesterday, Joseph. But Liam, do you remember when we played Karn Doom and I was playing Kaldara? And you remember what happened? Mm, no, you have to refresh me on that. So we were playing Cardoom over and over trying to beat it, and I was playing the old style of Cardar deck. And mm. we found that what would happen in that quest is it would ramp and ramp and ramp, and it would get to a point where the encounter deck would just go bonkers in one round. And if you could survive that round, you'd be fine. And what happened was I was first player, and Thaurdir kept attacking me repeatedly, and I was just... <laughs> throwing allies under Ooh. the bus and i must have lost about 24 resources worth of allies in the same round yeah. because he was just going insane machine gun yeah. attacks from all the sorceries and crap and it was nuts and i've never seen a deck get destroyed like that it could come back though because it was kaldara that's the yeah. only way we could beat it was having that deck around yeah, we were stuck on that quest for a while, weren't we? It took us a good number of yeah, attempts on that that's, one. that's the most attempts we've ever taken on anything. It felt really good when we beat it, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that, the, the Thourdier bump. If you can get over that, you'll probably beat that one. And um, that's the only way we could do it. <laughs> and other cards that I think will be, are good options in Mono Spirit of Pelagir Shipwright, who gets plus one. Um, willpower for every spirit hero you have, right? Kaldara, obviously, Map of Yarnal is that record attachment. Against the Shadow is another mono spirit, but it's a bad card. And then the Shadows Give Way is an interesting card that you can you have to pay for it from three different heroes' pools, so you kind of need mono spirit, but you could do songs. But you can get rid of all Shadow cards. And that one's another good one for Karn Doom, isn't it? Yes, it is. I was um, running it, but I think I ended up not running it. Just because it wasn't the shadow cards that were killing us, it was everything else. When you go from stage one to two, mm. that can be a killer if you haven't controlled your combat. Anyway, that's Spirit in a nutshell. Anything else to say about that? Not me. No. No, my main foray into Spirit Monosphere was a pretty terrible mono spirit rohan deck i think it was or it had a lot of rohan in it anyway oh dear but, i mean we've spoken about <laughs> rohan a little bit in the past so <laughs> i think there's much more needs to be said about that don't let but, me um, launch into a tiring deck. <laughs> yeah quick reel him in quick <laughs> but um uh, one of my one of my favorite ones is um is law i really like mono law um, so um i don't think it's the strongest um i think for me personally the strongest that i've played is probably mono tactics but I haven't played mono very much mono uh, leadership. So uh, yeah, Law is is probably like uh, one that I have a lot of fondness for. Um, it's the trap deck mainly, and um, 
absolutely love playing that trap deck and um it kind of feels like you should play it mono law although now there are a bunch of tactics it kind of makes me want to revisit it a bit a bunch of tactic traps and yeah mainly mainly mono law to try and keep your threat a bit low and also just to draw loads and loads of cards and all the cards you want to play on a law anyway and um it has some weaknesses uh it has a lot of weaknesses actually it's a obviously a trap deck which means it's only really good against specific quests there are a bunch of quests that it really struggles with actually um but the quests it does work on it it works quite nicely it doesn't work very well solo it's, i don't think i've ever tried to play it solo it's um definitely a multiplayer deck but it's super fun trapping loads of stuff and um i would say another one of its weaknesses is that it can really struggle for resources. The mono lawness of it does help. Um, I think this, that's the reason why I play at mono laws because you're just not going to pay for all, the, all of the stuff you want to play for. The allies are quite expensive. The traps need to be played a lot. So yeah, I like it. I like it a lot actually. Have you had any experience either with the trap deck or with any other mono law decks? I've played a lot of the trap deck different variations I, I like you i try to play a low threat deck with haldir in it to try to help out with the combat phase by killing something stay low enough where i don't have to engage things and just quest for a decent amount and help everybody with the combat phase so that'd be like damrod haldir and maybe something really good like mirland yeah i think that's that's the that's the uh that's the three that i was playing power <laughs> power three yeah um, the other interesting Monolore deck that Ryan's been uh, played a couple of weeks ago is a Victory Display deck. Hmm. Yeah, not my deck by the Moore McGill, uh, but really fun deck because it's a multiplayer control deck. Uh, so you try to play Gildor's Council over and over and stop the encounter deck from revealing cards, or minus one card at least. Uh, you can also play the Hidden Way to make a location active instead of revealing a card. So it's a fun deck. And yes, it does use Merlond, right? Just get over it. <laughs> uh, could easily use Smeagol, though, I think, but it doesn't need to. It's probably risky, because um, you, you, don't, you don't want him to turn into an enemy. Uh, yeah, it doesn't do much else, but what it does do is very strong. Arguably the strongest thing you can do, uh, giving the encounter deck one less card, I would say. Right. So uh, definitely very good, but it won't work in solo, I, I think. Because yeah. uh, Gilder's Council doesn't work in solo. <laughs> so that's why. Um, so yeah, it works in two-player though. Very well. It also has some control about scrying the encounter deck too. That was pretty fun. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, out of the wild and that kind of thing. It could probably be more victory display heavy if you went down the route of Rossiel and that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, the way you said that, I thought that's what it would be. No, it's the two hobbits, Pippin and Falco, alongside Melond. Oh, okay. The odd one out for various reasons. That's really low threat, <laughs> isn't it? It's five plus six plus five, 16. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that must be one of the lowest you can do. Maybe Glorfindel. With uh, three heroes. Yeah. Uh, Glorfindel, well, Eowyn, and somebody else, maybe. I think that might be the lowest you can do before we get this Gollum Smeagol. Right, guy. right, right. And then you could do um, Smeagol instead of Folco. And Smeagol will only cost two. Mm, all right. Because nice. it's blonde. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You've got to keep, keep that, right? <laughs> it's mm. going to be a negative cost pretty soon. 
<laughs> yeah, there's some big drawbacks. But if you like, if you like drawing a whole bunch of cards and struggling yeah. to pay for them, then Lore is uh, <laughs> where you want to be. <laughs> I've tried to build some mono Lore decks that try to draw lots of cards and turn them into willpower with Protector of Lorien, but um, I'll tell you from experience, it doesn't work because you end up sitting there drawing cards and not doing much else. Solo deck with mono lore, and I had a hard time just with not very many resources, and it's actually a little hard to ramp your threat. I mean, not your threat, your willpower in lore. Yeah, it's not a lot of, there's only like, what, two heroes with more than two willpower? And not many allies with two willpower either. And the allies that you can play with willpower are, are really expensive. Yes. Yeah. And they don't have a lot of threat reduction or control. So if you go slow, you're going to threat out. <laughs> yeah, this made me think of something, actually. When bartering came out, there was all these ideas about, like, mono lore could do, uh, play that scroll for four and then do bartering to get resourceful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if anybody ever really explored that beyond that's cool, but I can't quest. I wonder if there is a deck out there that can do something. Because that was I so saw a deck that did that, but I didn't ever play it. I never played ah, it. Ah, right. Okay. Oh, well, maybe you should bring it on the channel and see if it works. No, I'll look. Okay, cool. Yeah, but that might be something that's not been explored fully. I do feel that Mono Lore is, uh, is certainly one that works mostly in, in multiplayer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's the weakest for solo. Mono Boar in solo. It'll be. <laughs> <laughs> so your hot cards for this sphere will be Mithrandir's Advice. <clears throat> you get three cards for one resource. Pretty good. Um, Mirlon is good. Scroll of Isildur Advanced Warning is a strong card, but it's hard to use very well. And then you got all this secrecy, control, scrying, victory display cards too. Yeah, they're <laughs> very strong. Do you, like, do, you, do you agree with all of those hot cards there, Ryan? <laughs> he didn't really, he didn't give me a chance to... <laughs> he very quickly moved on, right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> I noticed that. He sort of said, Merlon Scroll of Isildur, like that. I didn't, didn't. <laughs> so, um, so, I was... Uh... <laughs> I'll tell you, actually, I just remembered something that happened the other day. Right. Um, in the Facebook chat, Joseph's playing some quests. Hey, he's, uh, he's typing while I'm talking. That's so rude. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to talk over the story. So anyway, he's playing a deck in the, in the chat. He's playing Treebeard, Galadriel, and Merlond. And so he sends a photo, and uh, I said, oh, he's only playing Merlond for the troll value. <laughs> and Buzz said, no, he's playing Merlond for access to Lembus. And I said, well, he's already got that through Galadriel. And then Joseph typed, oops. <laughs> so that's I didn't put uh, that attachment in my deck. Oh, that's why he said oops. Okay. Things, yeah. All right, we're well, moving on. Shall I do tactics then? Go for it. All right, so I think uh, mono tactics has gone from nowhere, like completely off the map, except one build that C-Stan managed to get work in, to arguably one of the strongest decks in the game, you might say, with Hergon. Certainly one of the most reliable, I think, if you build it right. Um, Because as the old adage goes, you'll be questing for 11 every single turn. 
<laughs> yeah, turn one. And that's the most you can quest for on turn one, I believe, with any hero lineup. Uh, except tactics. if you run Spirit Eowyn, because you can chuck a card away to get to 12. Or maybe Treebeard. Yeah, or Treebeard. Yeah. So just natively, that's the most you can do without triggering any abilities, I think. Theoden, Eowyn, and Hirgon. Uh, and then you rely on your allies for combat and tactics. It's got some very good allies, and you can play a four-cost one on turn one because you will succeed on the quest. Because if you can't succeed with 11 on turn one, then the game is broken. <laughs> uh, so you, you have to succeed. You will succeed. doesn't matter what quest you're playing. I suppose unless it's Karn Doom, maybe, but then just trigger Eowyn. Uh, so, yeah, I think mono tactics is strong in solo. And it's also strong in any player account because there are a lot of ranged and sentinel allies and tactics that can do work across the board. Uh, when we played a two-player game once, I built a Hirgon deck that had a lot of sentinel in it to help you defend stuff. The old Durndingle Warriors and uh, mm-hmm. Deerwine and all those good characters. And I think you should always run three copies of Legolas in that mm-hmm. deck as well because then it doesn't matter if you draw the dupe because you'll be drawing two cards every turn, ideally. And you can always play one of them, and it'll be impactful as an ally. So I think it's a very strong deck overall. Um, I think yeah. the the abilities that Mono Tactics has got in terms of the mono cards that are a bit weaker, like Trained for War, could be very fun, but it could also backfire horribly if you put that down in four-player. <laughs> yeah. um, it's also not reliable, so you can't build around it because it's an event. Right. So you could you could, in theory, have like a battle-questing deck but you need to find that event first, and if you don't, you're buggered. Grappling really. hook, pretty much, yeah. does the same thing way better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the uh, thicket of spears. Now, this is interesting because we were talking about this card yesterday, and the hammerlock decks were the ones that always played that, and it's sort of dropped off the map since he got nerfed. But I reckon that deck could still be viable because if you think about it, like with the record the tactics event, you could play Thicket of Spears nine times in a game. So six times with Hammer, right? Mm-hmm. If you get all three copies, and then maybe three times the record, and you might see it again as well if you draw it again. It's 12 and that, <laughs> that ought to be enough, right? If you can... you think so. <laughs> yeah, that will be enough nine turns. So whether that's something worth exploring again, I don't know. Mm. Um, I kind of wrote Thicket of Spears off for t- normal normal decks without Hama. Mm-hmm. But when I was at Gen Con, I was playing next to Ryan Freilich. I think he works for FFG or is at least associated with them. He was playing a Mono Tactics classic lineup. And turn one of that uh, Woodland Realm, we got like four or five orgs on turn one. Mm-hmm. And he took them all and used Thicket of Spears two turns in a row. And we dug us out of that mess. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Yeah, see, I mean, we're not thinking about that card anymore because you think it's dead because Hammer's dead, but maybe not. It's not. If you've got some ranged attackers across the table, you don't need to defend any of them because it stops them attacking, doesn't it? So just and kill them. As well. I wouldn't necessarily say Hammer's like dead, dead. No, I don't think he is either. broken. Do you know what I mean? Like before he was kind of broken. It just killed all interest in them, pretty much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. And I suppose as well, because a lot of people had played the Hammer from before, so suddenly playing like a nerfed version kind of makes you just want to move on to something else, doesn't it, a little bit? 
In terms of the hot cards, you've got Theoden listed. So he is very good in the Hiragon deck. Uh, I, I would guess you would probably argue he was always underrated. It's always been good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think he just, there wasn't much you could do with it in solo before Hiracon came out, I suppose. And that's probably why he didn't see that much play. He also got a lot better when the Golden Shield came out as well. Mm. I built a deck really early with uh, Glorfindel Mary and Theoden, and a Quest for Nine had a lot of red in, and it's a good deck. Mm. Yeah, sounds good. But he's also very um, good the more tactics heroes are on the table, especially right, the wimpy right. ones like Mary who, who quest. So in a four-player game, he could add a lot of willpower. If you're questing Ooh. with tactics heroes, which isn't a given. No, but I mean, quick beam. Yeah. <laughs> New Bilbo. There you go. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good, actually. They're <laughs> adding up. Um, then you've got Knight of Minas Tirith, which... Uh, I haven't played outside of a Hiragon deck, to be honest, but it's a very fun card if you can kill something with it. So he enters play and does an attack. When he comes into play, he can engage an enemy. Especially uh, good with Hiragon because you can boost his attack to four. Yeah. The other card that's not actually a mono-tactics card is not listed here, but um, is trained... No, no, sorry. Uh, is it prepare... F- no. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Ah, wait no longer. Mm-hmm. That is a good card in a tactics deck because <laughs> you can bring an enemy out and it um, does the same thing as the location one. You don't have to reveal a card and tactics decks a can defend. Hama deck with that mm. once. Worked my way through several cause of doom quests without ever revealing a card off the top of the counter deck. It was funny. <laughs> wow. <laughs> exactly. Just take an enemy instead. It's, it's, a, it's a fun card. Um, so I think, <laughs> I think tactics is... Um, I know we're not trying to say which one's the strongest, but I think they're in a very, very good place in terms of being a monosphere deck. Also super fun to play. Yeah. But, um, so with, there's a couple of interesting things um, that sort of came to my mind when we were talking about um, the um, Hiergon deck. So I often will splash a little bit of Spirit via songs because I think Theoden has quite a few nice toys in Spirit. And... Um, you can also do, use the side quest where you get plus one questing for all mm-hmm. of the heroes, which is quite fun as well. It is a little bit sort of uh, perhaps not optimal, but I do like to do it. So you can get his horse and you can get uh, there's a couple of like just I think that's about it, really. Um, but um, would you consider splashing with a song in a mono colored deck um, still a mono sphere deck? It, does it is it is what makes it a mono sphere deck the three heroes? Or do all the cards have to be neutral or of that color? Uh, <laughs> I suppose if you're going to be hardcore about it, then you'd have to say, yeah, it's only mono if it's all the same sphere. Mm. Uh, you could just look at it in terms of hero lineup, though. That's yeah. what I think I, I lean towards more personally. I'm like, if the three heroes are the same color, that's, that's mono. Right. There's a mono yeah, lore mono. song deck that does Love of Tales that has a lot of other spheres in it but yeah i don't know it's kind of right in the line now depends on how you want to define it mm. and the songs can be quite helpful in those mono decks potentially um if you just want if there's just a couple of little cards that just make that deck a little bit sweeter um you could potentially have a song in there um or two and uh and help you out with that although it does tend to make the decks weaker in my opinion but um i just did it for fun in that particular one um 
So the other thing was um, card draw can potentially be a bit of a problem in tactics. We spoke about one solution there, which is um, Legolas. But tactics can, and, and Hegon potentially doesn't need as much card draw because of his ability, but you can, um, that can be a bit of a struggle with tactics. Other way I've got around that is just kind of push it towards a eagle here gone deck, and then you can use the eagles are coming, which can be a pretty lucrative source of card draw. Mm. And there's of course foe hammer as well, but uh, we spoke about that a little bit earlier, and sort of mentioned that it can be a little bit harder than it looks to do. It's hard in a here gone deck because you're questing with all those heroes, and you don't necessarily have weapons on your heroes either. Mm. So the last one we haven't spoken about is one that I've personally not played, Leadership. Uh, but it sounds like you guys are really hot on it. It sounds like you're, um, you're quite liking what Mono Leadership can bring to the table. I feel like Joseph should get the opportunity to tell us <laughs> Mono Leadership. Uh, yeah. Um, so Leadership is also my least favorite because everything is expensive and you can't get cards in your hand. There's no card draw except for Gandalf and... Valiant Sacrifice, which I think is a lousy card. I don't like that card. But with Gildor, and you can just draw cards, extra card every turn, basically, with that resource. So I put a lineup together of Aragorn, uh, Urkenbrand, and Gildor. So you have a Defender, Quester, you have a guy to actually, Gildor, Quest for three as well, which is really helpful. Then you can put Sword that's Broken Down. You're really honestly relying on... Um, the resource production of Stuart of Gondor to play all those more expensive cards. But yeah, I that defense and quests and ramps up pretty fast. I have got enough allies to quest for a good 20, 25 and have a solid, solid combat phase. I really enjoyed it lately. You got different global buffs. You got Stuart, a sword that was broken, Faramir. Between those two, you can send your willpower numbers up pretty far even with only four or five six characters on the board certainly relies on the resources has quite a few readying effects now too as your what's the readying horse the defensive horse i'm forgetting now (laughs) armored destroyer right aragorn can ready himself with extra resources gildor's card draw just makes the whole thing work before i was running an almost mono leadership with aristor and just gondor and trying to buff up all the chumps but uh, this new style seems to be working a lot better for me. And hey, Caleb thinks that mono leadership is the best as well. I'm starting to agree. <laughs> um, you can re- play sneak attack Gandalf a bunch of times with Tome of a Tanatar. Um, you can play reinforcements if you want. Bring Gandalf in more strength of arms. I mean, if you're playing, that's the reason to want. Yeah, the huge reason to play mono leadership. You can play that halfway through a combat phase. Defend, defend, defend. Ready up, defend the last ones, and then hit back with the, all those allies. Grim Resolve is another thing, uh, event that's hard to play, but it's pretty epic. Is that it's ready everybody? Play. Yeah, ready every character on the board. Yeah, it costs five, though. Yeah. Is that not technically a mono leadership card, though, is it? It's just a just a No, big... it's just an expensive card. Ah, it doesn't could... get played, but in mono, it's easier. You could put Doomhang still in the same bracket. Mm-hmm. The five coster that never sees any play, as far as I know. I've um, used it a couple times. Man. Yeah, in in mono leadership, or I used it in that Aristor Gondor deck. I used it at Blackgate. Hmm. <laughs> Good place for it. 
actually really bad if you're well not the, yeah, the quest phase skip don't do that well i did it when we were doing the uh, epic or the uh two staging area it works then if you have another team of players playing mount doom at the same time okay which is kind of weird because you aren't putting those resources out really but yeah i like leadership yeah so I... noble stuff too a lot of their heroes are nobles Interesting, because I would have argued a couple of cycles ago, leadership was pants, really a bit pants. Mm-hmm. But I think they've got a lot of good cards lately. Um, the Destroyer was back in the Dream Chaser cycle now, especially on the defensive side of things. A lot of these buff cards are from before that. Visionary leadership and, and all those cards have been around donkey's years. So they've always been good at that, but now they've got other things to bring to the table, which is good. I can see you typing away there. <laughs> yeah, uh, the new armor attachments make defense a lot easier. The Knight of the White Tower is another big ally that you can get uh, some willpower out of or a good combat phase. And the Redwater Sentry, you can, I've been using him in a mono leadership deck, and he can defend across the table or defend so your other people can attack. If you said what heroes should go in mono leadership, off the top of my head, I couldn't give you an answer in the same way I could for the other three spheres because I think there's a lot more choices for this one. Like you talked about sword that was broken for Aragorn, but you could easily run, say, Balin, the dwarf, for some shadow cancellation, or you could run Theodred for some resources, or you could run Dane Armfoot even and bring some leadership dwarves to the table because uh, a lot of the good buffs for dwarves are in leadership, like the hardy leadership attachment. I played a mono leadership dwarf deck through the whole against the shadow cycle once. Oh, there you go. And then you've got the defenders like Urkenbrand. Uh, so there's there's about maybe six to ten heroes you could possibly put in this mono leadership deck, depending on what you want to do. Do you want to be a buffer, <laughs> or do you want to be uh, do you want to be a I don't know a, a resource generator? Or there's a lot more choices. I feel. Mm-hmm. Gildor's going in there for me though. Solo or multiplayer? Either way, just want that card draw. <laughs> yeah, multiplayer, somebody else could pick up the willpower slack. But uh, Guild was funny because he was so vanilla as a hero. He's such a like free willpower, pay one to draw one. It's quite underwhelming. But it turns out he's really good glue hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that he's actually released yet, technically. <laughs> right, kind of annoying. That covers all the spheres. Um, there's one other card... That's a monosphere deck that doesn't have a sphere. That's the White Tower Watchman. Anybody play him? <laughs> I've tried to play him. Never pulled it off. Always gets cut. But uh, I think we were talking about him the other day. That um, He's the sort of card where you, you can take an undefended attack with him, which is big. Uh, it, it could save you in the Black Gate. It could take you to the next round. If you can keep one hero alive, it could make all the difference. It's an extra token. Mm-hmm. Or you could, I don't know. Or I can save you a hero in yeah. a saga campaign that you don't have to replay all of Helm's Deep again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think um, it's, it's a card I'd like to look at a little bit more. But it probably gets cut because I'm mostly playing solo and don't really need him because I'm defending all right. right. Uh, what do you guys think about him? Yeah, sort of uh, similar, really. Um doesn't often make it into the mono decks that I put in because he seems a bit sort of, I don't know, sort of like 
if you're having to use him a bunch, then uh, <laughs> then um, you know things things are probably going a bit wrong. But um, also, he's not the cheapest guy really at three, and um, it's like a whole turn of resources. And if you play in monosphere, sometimes without access to leadership, you can be a bit struggling with resources. I can imagine him going into like mono law, for example. And I couldn't see the point of him going into a lot of the monotactics ones because you're probably fine without him. And mono spirit, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he doesn't do much while he's waiting to die. I think he's got one mm. willpower. He does uh, have two yeah. defense and three hit points, so he can take some of the chumps. Yeah, and he could soak some archery as well because, I mean, if he's mm-hmm. got one health left, you can still take an undefended on him. Right. I did that in a saga quest. He saved our bacon. He took a couple of archery and then took an undefended attack and kept my hero alive. Nice. So there's one more thing I typed in the sheet and I've put it in block capitals because it came to my head just now. But it's one quest where mono sphere is very good. And that is escape from Dolgodur. Mm-hmm. And it's the only way we've beaten it in nightmare mode is with mono sphere decks. Because if you know you're going to lose a hero, Monosphere makes it much easier for yourself. Because you're not going to have dead cards, hopefully. Right. Mm. Price here. And losing a hero kind of sucks. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. It really sucks. Big time. So making it mono makes it, well, I won't say easier. Um, Let's say bearable. (laughs) You're talking about nightmare, right? Uh, Well, I'm talking about it in general. Okay. You know, losing a hero in general, but it's specifically nightmare mode when we played it because we did mono spirit, mono law, mono tactics, and uh, the trap deck did serious work. And I was questing mostly with spirit characters, and I think Steve was uh, doing the combat with the tactics. Mm. Yeah, that was uh, good fun. That one. Mm. That was that was um, yeah. Like, didn't we, we play those mono decks all together a couple of times? Didn't we? We played it on a few other quests, I think, as well. But um, yeah, the I think that kind of like highlights another strength that we haven't really touched upon. Actually, that you can lose a hero in mono decks and it not be such a painful experience. Although losing a hero is always very painful. At least your cards in your hand are not suddenly dead or you know unplayable because they're far too expensive. Um, you know, you still got that. Um, ability to keep playing your deck, which is um, definitely something that shouldn't be sniffed at. Yeah, especially if you're still learning the game and you want to get used to the experience of losing heroes. Mm. I must admit, if I lose a hero, usually I fold. Yeah, but, it's not as but, much fun. Yeah. No, but if you're if you're um, close to winning, yeah, exactly. Right at the very end, I've often exactly. carried on. Like you know, if you lose, sometimes you sacrifice a hero. You're like, well, look, he's going to die, but um, I can potentially win in the next turn or two. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. Or you can convince someone across the table from you to lose their heroes instead. That's always an option. <laughs> <laughs> I remember playing uh, uh, the Battle of Lake Town, and there's a shadow effect that deals damage to everybody or somebody can discard a hero to cancel it and we i just kept getting it i just kept throwing heroes away to it and we eventually died anyway but (laughs) (laughs) we nearly beat poros with steve sacrificing his entire side of the board (laughs) 
Dale we like picking one, up the one turn off, yeah, and Dale Dale going for it, but um, because we were like literally like one or two turns away from it finishing, and then it suddenly just like comboed on us hard, and yeah, we had a lot of enemies, a lot, a lot of enemies, and uh, yeah, he just held held the line, and then uh, you know the line fell, <laughs> and then I tried to quest out of it, and uh, we weren't successful, but it was pretty close. There's something to be said for like thinking about losing a hero towards the end of a game and uh yeah mono mono is good for that i mean you would never want to lose someone like merlon or something like that but you know you could you could lose other heroes so we should probably wrap it up here before we finish um why don't each of us say which one do you think is the best for solo and which we think is the weakest for solo play okay i think the best for solo play is tactics i think the weakest is law I'm going to go next and say I think leadership is actually my favorite for solo play right now, which is kind of weird. But I just had a couple of really good experiences, and I would say lore is probably the hardest for solo as well. Too slow. Is, is it your favorite or is it the best? Because <laughs> you said which is the best for solo. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm going to say leadership is the best just because I know no one else will say <laughs> uh, what's the bit? Well, you've said tactics already. I mean, I lean towards tactics because I've got the most experience with it. But I feel like Caldara could be stronger, but yeah. I don't know because I haven't really played it since the nerf. To be honest, it put me off. In fact, I haven't played it since the nerf, which is quite shocking because that was two years ago now. Eighteen uh, months. The, ham- the hammer conundrum. Mm, yeah. So um, I'm. I'm probably. I'm, it's in between tactics and spirit. Spirit might nudge it though because they've got all the cancellation. Yeah. And what was the other part? Which is weakest? Mm. For solo, I can't say leadership now, can I? I have to say lore. You can say leadership. <laughs> nah. Well, I think leadership might be the riskiest. I feel like they're the most. They have access to pretty much everything. It just they're dependent on steward, though. Would you say? That's very true. Yep. Yeah. Mm. We'll just do a hard mm. mulligan for that, right? right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Six times. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I name, think name, though, a deck, name a deck that doesn't benefit from steward, though. <laughs> I think I think Laura is probably the weakest, though, just because it 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 can't defend very well, it can't quest very well. It's got a lot of cool cards. For solo, I agree. Um, I think um, if you are trying to get someone into the game, give them a give them a mono deck. They're really fun to play. They're really straightforward, and you can really feel like you've got a big impact on the game. Yeah, give them some of those powerful cards that you only can play in those decks. Mm. I'd agree with that. Keeps it simple. Just don't give them the starter mono deck. <laughs> We can always wish for an updated core set with some better decks in it, but I don't know if we'll ever get it. Mm, I doubt it. They shrunk it once. Yeah. I looked over the Hall of Fame on Rings DP, and there are some mono decks up there. They're most of the ones we already talked about. There's a lot of Caldara decks of different iterations. There's a couple of lore trap decks, one lore victory display deck, a bunch of Theoden mono tactics decks, one Bayorn, 
um, just like a defensive combat deck. That's another um, mono tactics deck we didn't really talk about. In multiplayer, you can just do a big old attack and defend deck. That's legitimate. There's only one leadership deck, so it must not be the best. One mono leadership Gondor deck with Faramir, Boromir, and Denethor. There's a job for you there. Yep, I'll get mine up there 10 years from now. <laughs> Climb the ladder. <laughs> the one deck to rule the ball. All right, I think we should end it there. You guys have anything else to add? Nope. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thank you. Good, good chat, as always. Yeah, Someday cheers. Someday we'll get an episode shorter than two hours. Nah. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to do we'll have to do like a, a really short topic and a, and like a, and like hope that there's a card review pack that's like super basic cards like you know <laughs> yeah they're all vanilla one line each nothing else yeah, exactly. I, I think this this pack has opened up um the potential for a different type of cycle review which is the fashion of dale and um which characters <laughs> are pulling it off the best because we've got the new tongue head man we've got the egyptian hair person <laughs> <laughs> so mm. there's all these different strange garments we can review. That can be the shortest episode. <laughs> Don't you like talking about fashion? <laughs> Bum bags and all sorts of weird things. <laughs> all right, we'll be back in about a month and we'll tackle the next adventure pack and another topic related to the guard game. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.